Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, everyone. It's finally here. We're back with the And Just Like That episodes we know you've been waiting for. And because we're just so tapped into the zeitgeist, we're bringing them to you a full three months after the show aired. Dolly and I have recorded three episodes that will be spread across April and then the normal sentimental garbage season will resume in May. Like you, we've been just so distressed and heartbroken to see what has been happening in Ukraine and so we've both decided to donate all the proceeds from the month of April to British Ukrainian Aid. If you would like to donate yourself, the link is in the show notes, but every share and impassioned recommendation of these episodes will go towards a very good cause. Okay, that's all from me. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Sentimental in the City, the reboot. It's a lot like the original podcast that you loved, except with key differences that make you feel slightly uncomfortable throughout. (laughs) My name is Caroline Donahue, and I'm still angry about Stanford's Tokyo storyline. Joining me is the unexplained grudge between Carrie and Susan Sharon, Dolly Alderton. Hello. Hey. We're back. We're back. And begrudgingly, I must say, I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> um, it's been, I think, a year. Like, like, literally this week, it's a year since we released the uh, first. Is it? Yeah. Sentimental in the City. And we were, initially, we were quite resistant to doing this. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I think, I, I can't remember why I just felt like, no, it doesn't deserve analysis. I think because we felt like it didn't deserve the same amount of analysis as the original yeah. canon, because it should always be thought of as like a sort of bonus yes. treat for the fans, which is what I think it is. But then we just couldn't fucking help ourselves. And we just couldn't help ourselves so much that last night, when we went to watch them to recap Eps 1 to 3, yeah. and we saw they weren't on Now TV, we both paid £18 each to watch it all on Amazon. There's something very telling about... I obviously don't know how the streaming world works, that Sky TV were like, yeah, yeah, we're gonna, probably paying an exorbitant amount of money to buy this HBO Max, um, but we're only going to keep it on for as long as the, t- the show is actually on, and then we'll just like sell it off or let Amazon Prime take yeah. it over. Because it showed that they knew everyone was going to watch it, and they knew that no one was going to rewatch it. Totally. Because everyone has seen the this city. show, and we will be the only people to see it twice. <laughs> see it twice and also sex in the city lives on now tv so yeah. they want that legacy to live on that platform but they have less than zero interest <laughs> i know which is like i mean we you've written it in our doc right here return of the famous doc that uh, we're appreciating this for the fan servicing and the bit of uh, subscription mercenary <laughs> driving work that it truly is Look, the, the real thing that came out of this is that there were lots more subscribers to HBO Max yeah. and that's really what the goal was I think and they definitely succeeded. Do you think Cynthia Nixon agreeing to do this was based on her getting the Gilded Age? 
other show that she's doing at the moment on HBO Max. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God, it will definitely be that. Yeah, yeah. Having worked in development, it will definitely be that. In fact, this is how Sarah Jessica Parker got on board with Sex and the City initially. I think it was a package deal of HBO. Yeah. And it's like, we you do this for actors where you say, if you do this, this show that we don't really care about, that's yeah. not going to get loads of views, but artistically you're very obsessed with, will you do this massive commercial one that we know that you hate. This is it. Definitely that would have been it. God, you're clever. <laughs> Kristen Davis, apparently not appreci- not like interested in the same deal. Kristen Davis, who has done, really spent the last 20 years doing kind of fuck all. It's <laughs> just back to give, let's face it, a very uneven performance. Charlotte York Goldenblatt. Yeah, yeah. We're obsessed with Charlotte's delivery because I just don't remember Charlotte and Kristen Davis performing in Sex and the City the way she does in this series it's like she has completely forgotten to act women apologize to the whole world all day long for everything sorry not sorry it's like a film about the future that was made in 1970 (laughs) and it's about a house robot that's gone insane (laughs) Robotic delivery. <laughs> you need to take your medicine this morning. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's like, I, I, I enjoyed so much when I just like that was on. And suddenly everybody in the world was talking about Sex and City again. You yeah. Could, for the first time, I was having a lot of meetings around this time. You could walk into a meeting room and there'd be five women in there. And all of you would just like descend into it talking about it. It was. Fabulous. I really miss it. It was the gold uh, gold rush of female discourse. It doesn't fucking happen anymore. No. A true water cooler moment. It doesn't happen because every show is box setted online. Yeah. No one watch things watches things live. No one watches things. No one watch episodes that are eked out week by week. Yeah. And it felt like we have a WhatsApp group, which I'm going to <laughs> I'm going to say now like a sort of academic footnote. <laughs> In a dissertation, it's me, Caroline, Sophie Wilkinson, and Monica Heisey, who are both writers, and it's mainly just where we analyse Sex and the City mm-hmm. for complicated reasons that I won't go into now. And to save Monica's, <laughs> uh, to save Monica's pride, it, it, I won't say why, but it's called Monica's Ass. Monica's Ass, yeah. So here on in the text that will be referred to as Monica's Ass is this discussion group for the four of us. Yes. For example, this was discussed on Monica's ass first, but we're bringing it here. (laughs) That will be the context in which you hear Monica's ass. (laughs) That would clear that up. But Monica's ass became this like very special seminar space for me every week when we were watching it. And I really looked forward to it. I really planned it in my diary where I could have a full evening to watch it. And then I could dissect it with you girls afterwards. And then, yeah, it was the same with you. Every workspace I entered, it was discussed. And that sort of like event television, men get all the time, obviously, yeah. with sports and with... And, and You're so right. Well, obviously, some ladies like sports. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> well, they do when they're trying to catch D. <laughs> oh, I missed this. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was really like, you know, that was our... That was our fucking... I, don't, I can't even think of a sport. That no. was our snooker tournament. <laughs> snooker tournament is a great 
great uh, analysis for it because uh, it was very low stakes. That's it. I, and I you have, have to yeah. know so much to care at all. Totally. It's not like football where you're like, oh, England versus Germany. Let's yeah. Put it on in the pub. It's like, no, you have to have so much prior knowledge. <laughs> It was not our Euros. It was not our Euros. It was no, our it was like, snooker tournament. It was, it was our like very regionally specific snooker tournament. Yeah, but yeah. it was fucking exciting. It was so. I'm like, uh, this is why I, I kind of brought up the um, the Charlotte's weird German robot delivery yeah. thing. Is that um, all the headlines got hit? Like the the sort of the various takes on Che Diaz. Yeah. Like the various takes on. Miranda's marriage all the stuff that I think will be hitting yeah. but I think they they were such big conversation pieces that they soaked up all the air in the room totally which is another reason why we didn't do a podcast then because it was like yeah. we don't need to add our voice we're not that original and, like, I, and I must say you know it's not good to praise oneself but <laughs> But we're going to do it at last. I really just want to take a moment to congratulate us on <laughs> avoiding joining. It was you who said we should just wait until it's all passed because there was such a clamour to, to reach the most incisive and the most thoughtful and the most politically sensitive takes because it did get strangely and I think unnecessarily political yeah. this series it meant that as you said it soaked up all this stuff that there were like so many parts of the show that I feel weren't really touched on like Charlotte's weird voice like Charlotte's weird robot voice um <laughs> like how how they handled aging not how we handled their aging how they addressed their aging on the show weirdly I didn't see much about that yeah. I didn't see much about the fashion I didn't see much about like how they how they covered the idea of the longevity of these relationships. Like, what is it now to see Big and Carrie dance in the kitchen, who is a couple that you've known for 25 years? Yeah. Like, all that stuff was lost. And congratulations to us that we will now be covering it. And congratulations to you for tuning into this. <laughs> you can cut all that out, Caroline. No, that was perfect. And it's like, yeah, like... <laughs> That, like you guys might have thought that you wanted us to cover all this week by week, but I think by the end of this, you'll you'll realize that we knew best. <laughs> what you wanted was four months later <laughs> to hear our analysis of a show you will probably never watch again. That you'll never watch again, and you very rarely think about anymore. <laughs> but that's the thing: we're, we're retaining the OGs. We're retaining yeah the nutters, and that's the only people we're interested in talking to anyway. Yeah, hi nutters, we love you. It's only nutters that lived listen to this podcast, and yeah. I adore them all. Adore them. Um, should we talk very quickly about our predictions for the show? Because do you remember we did have a big WhatsApp chat? We had it was um, ages ago. Our last episode, uh, we did quite a lot of prediction stuff. Or was yeah, that, that more fantasy? No, that was football? mad. That was Samantha having a one night stand with Robbie Williams. <laughs> that was not serious. No, we had a WhatsApp chat. Yeah, and. Annoyingly, everything you said was correct. Yeah. I threw in some fucking rogue shit, but everything you said was correct. You said, when the trailer first came out, you said, I don't like the look of Big on that Peloton. <laughs> and I'm worried. Mm -hmm. You said there will be a non-binary storyline with Charlotte's Child. Mm -hmm. As soon as I saw that tuxedo t-shirt, I was like, <laughs> non-binary kids. <laughs> you also said, I think that they will try and potentially fail to rapidly and retrospectively atone for the error of their ways for over 20 years 
and they will go through of what they missed and what they didn't include mm. and how um, uh, narrow their world was by doing a kind of checklist of all the big tw- like hot yeah. Twitter topics that they will rattle through in 10 episodes, which is exactly what they did. Yeah, and some of it, I think, was very effective and lots, and lots of it wasn't. Yeah. And I think that it's interesting how much the show became this weird hall of mirrors um, for how, not just how we felt about these women, these fictional women and the people who make the show, but also of how we feel about ourselves and particularly how we feel about when white privileged people try and readdress their own 100%. blind spots. Because I think the the majority of criticism I saw about like, oh, everybody has a diversity character, a, a diversity friend or whatever, and everybody is rattling through their Twitter problems of the week was predominantly from white creators who are middle class. I think, I mean, obviously, like, yeah, like lots of people had criticisms of it, but I I thought the loudest criticism came from people who were, well, if I was in this position, I would have done it better kind of thing Mm. because they're almost afraid of their own blind spots. And it became this interesting reflective pool. I thought it was, it really revealed a lot where there was that week one conversation of like, oh, I guess everybody has a friend who's diverse now. Yeah. But then for some people, it felt like that conversation never went away. And it Mm. felt it was a bigger thing in their heads than Mm. it was in the show's head Mm. in a way. Mm. Like uh, by episode nine, episode 10, they were still talking about it. And I was like, you're kind of showing your own arse here more than the show is. I think an interesting byproduct that comes out of the idea of checking one's privilege which we know is incredibly important particularly when the media space is so dominated by the same type of white middle class person I think what happens is we ask people to self-reflect publicly on their own privileges and short-sightedness and then in bad faith what we do when they do do that is say oh well what do you want a medal (laughs) You think you're so fucking switched on, don't you? That's it, and it's a, it's very it's a very tallest poppy British instinct as well, kind of totally. Thing. How how dare you try and assert that you're trying hard? Kind That's of thing. it, and it's like, well, you think you've solved it all now. Well, let me tell you, you yeah. haven't. And I don't. And I must say, like up front, I I applaud them for doing it and I think it made it for actually just like editorially a much more interesting show that they like expanded their world mm-hmm. and the characters um and I think it's the braver thing to do I think it's the right thing to do and I think um as you said like some of it was really interesting and went well I think some of it was bad let's talk about that let's park ourselves in like the new character so this episode is going to be we're going to cover episodes one through three and then we'll do two more episodes covering the rest of the series um, but up top, we're just going to talk about the the broad yeah. strokes stuff. Yeah. So let's talk about the new characters first. Mm. I think what's interesting about the new characters is whether they worked or whether they didn't, to me, felt entirely um, premeditated on whether they felt like Sex and the City characters or not. Definitely. I think it's why everyone loved Seema, because she felt like someone who could have existed in that show. Yes. It was the right level of like camp and glamour. Yeah. And slightly otherworldliness, like her yeah. delivery was kind of mad, and like yeah. she just and she, she felt really warm and soft and clean, you know. Yeah. There's there was something, some certain je ne sais quoi about getting a 
canonical Sex and the City character just right, you know? Totally. And there was simpatico and sisterhood and there was something that was, that really glued her and Carrie to get together. Like, you didn't feel like this character was there to teach her something or yeah. to service that our protagonist's journey or enlightenment. Yeah. They were just two gals that had like similar journeys in life and found themselves in a similar moment of puzzlement and transition. And that's like, like bare bones story-wise, going to be a great character. And oh, just like I, that, that moment, because the, the thing, like the, this show wasn't perfect, I don't think, but the moments that really sung were like her and Seema eating dumplings in the flat while she's yeah. cataloging her wardrobe. It's yeah. those moments of like high glamour, but also feminine cozy. Yeah, that exactly. felt like season one of totally. like them all hanging out playing poker and kind of stuff. I was like, yes, this yeah. is the it was this intimate. Is the good clean high. Yeah. yeah, I think LTW worked as well to an extent because it captured a different type of Sex in the City Manhattan, which is Charlotte's incredibly mm. 0.0001% Manhattan. Yeah, of affluence and perfection and multitasking and domesticity and professionalism and that you know what it is to be so outward facing and what it is to be that performative as a wife and a mother and a yeah so she felt she you know and also I know having listened to there was a supporting podcast to and just like that which we will talk about called the writer's room um and having heard the writers talk about LTW I know that it was important for them to show a black character who was affluent and aspirational and like very upper class. Like it was very important to the writers that that was a black experience that was being portrayed. So I understand that LTW, like Charlotte needed at that time in her life, she needed someone who was going to care about her absolutely dumb bee stories that none of the rest of us cared about like That's she, the thing. she needed someone to go on that train with her and like the tennis thing or the the, tennis the child with the piano or the as, you know as Demi Lovato would say sorry not sorry sorry <laughs> not sorry I want to get a buzzer made of all Charlotte's robot lines that'll be our woke moment button <laughs> That could be sorry, the not sorry. I can't wait because I'm pretty sure everyone's gonna be like, I'm never gonna rewatch and just like that again. But they're gonna hear we Charlotte's should... robot delivery and they're gonna go back. I think we should include the time codes for everyone to listen to the robot moments. Charlotte, <laughs> sorry, not sorry, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> it just gets quite addictive. Um, but yeah, so that's why I understand. I think. I think it. I think if this wasn't and just like that, and this mm-hmm. was a Sex in the City reboot, mm-hmm. there still would have been an LTW character. Yeah. Like one yeah. of her sorority friends. The, the th- or are you not convinced on LTW? I'm not. I'm more convinced that the thing, I I, I liked her as a character and I just love, I think she had the best outfits of anybody on yeah. the show. I, every, yeah. I loved everything she wore. And I, I like, like all Charlotte storylines, you're right, they've always been used as a, it tends it always tended to be that Miranda and Carrie had the meat of the drama storylines, yeah. particularly in the early seasons. Yeah. And then Charlotte would be having some prissy reaction to modern sexuality and yeah. Samantha would be oversteering in the other direction. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that was the balance of the show. But when you're when when Charlotte isn't having like casual sex and being prissy about it kind of thing, 
what's left for her to do is a weird tennis storyline. Yeah. Like her biggest journey was with Rose slash Rock. And like that felt under written as well. Completely untouched, that story. That was the one opportunity for her to have real emotional evolution. Yeah. And drama and progression. And it was so, so untouched. Yeah. And it's well, if you're going to have Lisa Tyler Wexley in there, like she didn't really bump off of that storyline. Like mm. if, if, she, if LTW is very much part of Charlotte's universe, it felt like we only really saw her when Charlotte was trying to impress her. Like I would have preferred if she was more baked into the soil, if you know what I mean. Do you know, as you were speaking, I just think, maybe I take back everything I've just said. <laughs> because because actually there is an alternate universe where we went more into Charlotte's B stories, which is about family yeah. and about marriage and about, I don't know, in-laws or like all those big dramatic things that happen when you're middle-aged and you have a family. And instead of, because the problem is Miranda and Carrie were never going to be the people who go into those stories with her. Yeah. So they gave her this friend, but actually the person they should have given that to was Harry. Yeah. That should have been the person we saw Charlotte with. We didn't see Harry. We And every time we did see him, he stole every scene. Yeah. Because he's fucking great. But like, but that would have been so like... dramatic, wouldn't it? Like yeah. to have seen that partnership who was so strong yeah. going through parenthood and middle age together, those like big stories. That should have been her B storylines rather than this tennis thing obviously really rubbed you and I up the wrong way. <laughs> or like rather than like her being nervous about having a dinner party with no black people. Like yeah. that's just not... That... It was so strange as well. That that I think that that was probably our least favorite episode. Was I the, very nearly dropped off in that episode. It was episode four, and I, I think, and then after such a strong opening three episodes, the fourth one felt like. Didn't you kind of already make this point in the first episode mm. with Miranda and Naya and stuff? And then it just felt like quite torturous, really. Um, but what what confused me about it more than anything was like, if you're going to have Charlotte freak out about race. And, like, why not touch on the fact that she's raising a Chinese-American daughter? Literally never spoken about. Like, surely that would be... I think that's quite rich, do you know what I mean? If, like, Mm. if you're having... You're raising a young woman who naturally would be at an age where she's, like, having some kind of reaction to her ethnicity, how do you navigate that as a sort of a a white Jewish parent? Like, that, I would have been way more interested in seeing that. Mm. I think I would have been more interested in seeing sort of more interplay with the kids in general. Because I feel like we didn't even get... Brady's Brady's personality is sex. Yeah. Like, who is Brady, like, as a person? I have no idea. Yeah. That, I really, really craved that. Because I felt there were these small moments of crossover where, like, in episode one, Carrie sees Rock turn up. And she says, you look amazing. And then Lily comes in and she says, oh, you're about to go do this piano recital. You're my hero. You're a rock star. And I was like, this, like godmother enmeshed Mm. family dynamic is part of the joy of friendship as you get older of how you interact with each other's partners and children and how your lives cross over and whenever they did like the fact that Carrie's Brady's godmother we watched the christening I care about Carrie and Brady's relationship yeah and we saw them once talk to each other and that whole like I think that they felt potentially the writers felt like Family life isn't dramatic. And I think they should have lent more into it. I agree. 
it felt like rock dominated all of the child storyline Mm. And it, it felt like we both got too much of it and also not enough at the same time. Yeah. Like we got a lot of screen time of it, but it didn't it just didn't feel very deep. Do you know what mm. I mean? It felt like birdbath, you know? Mm. Um very true. And I but I also just kind of love that like Carrie's way more interested in the girls than she is in Brady. <laughs> just like like, <laughs> like girls. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I loved that moment where Lily has a sleepover. Oh, my favourite part of the whole series, I think. So sweet. And her just like helping her archive her clothes and stuff. And Charlotte, Carrie giving Charlotte advice about Lily's like finster and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and also the um, the moment where Big dies and you see it ripple through yeah. the friendship group and their other halves and their children was really moving to me because like it's just not real to pretend like the world of these women would continue to be autonomous like having cocktails and catching up like Mm. they all have partners yeah and two of them have kids like they would be going on holidays together they would have this like bank of collective memories and the writers just really shied away from that and i would have loved it i would have loved i would it's so funny because like because the timing of us recording sentimental in the city and then and then quite Felt like quite quickly after. No, maybe not quite quickly after. Maybe there was, there was quite a gap. The problem is it felt quite quickly after because they did so much fucking... That's it. ...behind the scenes yes, and trail like, content. It's so funny, isn't it? Because we, we... I recorded like our final episode in maybe early April of last year. Yeah. And, and just like that didn't come out until November. And it felt like we were sick of it by the time it came out. Ugh. I was... Probably very rude to many people who DM me about Sex and the City. I was like, <laughs> I don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> and yet here I am, back yeah. to where we started. Yeah. Um, well, that actually, I'd quite like to talk about the, the behind the scenesiness. Yeah. Because since we. Spoiled our appetite. It really spoiled our appetite. And since we finished the last series and started this, I, I've made a TV show. And it Ooh. really. <laughs> I don't know if you know Caroline. (laughs) And it really helped me. Seeing how they trailed and packaged and presented the show really helped me as a producer know exactly how I did not Mm. want to launch my show. Because I think... My friend Lauren the other day said to me, I was talking about this like endless appetite that we have for supporting materials of analysis to things, which I know is exactly what we're doing right now. But in <laughs> terms of the people who make it and put it out. Yeah. So that we had like, it, it had its own Instagram and just like that had its own Instagram. Yeah. And just like that costume department had its own Instagram. Mm. We had the show, which was then accompanied, which is only 45 minutes, which was then accompanied by an hour at least analysis of the show on a podcast with the creators there was an which you and I were obsessed with obsessed with (laughs) there was then an hour and a half documentary about making the show at the end of it there were trailers every week and then in the run-up to the show coming out there was so much there were so many pictures on the Instagrams Mm. of like them getting costume fittings and and Lauren said I think it's because we're in the age of, of geekery and I said I don't I think we're in the age of greed and I just, oh. I think it's greed. Like, I'm sorry that I'm bringing it up, Caroline, because I know you don't like it. But I think if we can learn anything <laughs> from Get Back. Get Back? From the Beatles documentary. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is the biggest conflict in our friendship. <laughs> it's that w- there is this absolute bottomless demand mm. now 
for content non-stop it's not enough to just have the thing we need like and I include myself in this not only was watching eight hours of that documentary which was about making a documentary and an album that wasn't enough documentary wasn't enough and the album wasn't enough I'm now listening to a podcast that's analyzing every day of get back I know and I just, I just think it's great. We, we've got to stop. Yeah. Because it ruins the magic. It really does. And I understand with Angela like that because the that production was so stalked by the media. For good reason, obviously, it drove a lot of clicks. But I feel like they were trying to get out in front of it. Mm. And maybe they're like, well, look, people are going to be stalking us and we might as well give them some stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I think they did do that. But I also think they should have just done the Lady Gaga thing and pay just more to mm. build sets and and just pay for incredible privacy. I would have loved anything to have been a surprise. Mm. Like, I wasn't that surprised when Big died. Me neither. Either. Because Me I, neither. I felt like, it's, you know, the season was going there for a long time anyway. Um, This is like a really long intro. <laughs> but um, there's something, speaking of getting out in front of things, yeah. I think we should get out in front of what everyone's waiting for us to comment on, which is the accusations against Chris Nolf. Yeah. Um, which are obviously like very upsetting and like we're not we're not litigators and we're not a true crime podcast. Mm. We are a sentimental in the city podcast. <laughs> which means I guess I don't I don't really want to talk or discuss like whether he did or didn't do it. Whatever whatever happened, it seems like he's a pretty awful man. Yeah. Which is awkward considering you and I spent an hour talking about how he was our favourite actor in the show. I know. I know. Um You can get back and delete that. <laughs> Scrub the archives. But I guess I want to talk about, because this is, this is becoming a more and more common experience over the last few years of when someone whose talent and gift and contribution mm. you respect hugely and feel like it's enriched your life. And then, and the particular thing with Chris Knopf that I find interesting and painful is that, you know, it's like his, his the gift was his curse kind of thing or, or something, because we... We made, we the fandom, mm. we the culture made Mr. Big a really important person. Yeah. And we made it so that when a when a woman went out on a date with Chris Knopf, they were going out on a date with Mr. Big. Yeah. And that created like a pet tradition which he got to be a predator. Yeah. Because he came to represent this feeling of glamour. And I read a few of those um, testimonies and, and not a lot because, you know, you have to protect your own heart and brain mm. to a certain point. But that was something that came up a lot, which was that I thought I was going on a date with Mr. Big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's really scary. And the fact that that character is so intertwined with the idea of glamour and danger. Yeah. Yeah, that was a big part of his appeal on yeah. the show, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously, the great sadness and the great tragedy and the great trauma that comes out of this story is not that people like you and I yeah. now don't get to enjoy Mr. Big as fully and freely <laughs> as we did before. We can't say cabs are bullshit. We're quite the same high as we once did. <laughs> That's the real sadness. <laughs> no, obviously we know that this is like very much not a big deal and not a big problem. But it's seeing trauma as... that sits with the victims, obviously. Yeah, of yeah. course. But seeing as this is like a space where we are very obsessive about culture and characters, I do think it's appropriate to reflect on what that is like. And it's not nice. <laughs> not nice. It's yeah. not nice. And I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just, 
I'm grateful we only have to talk about Mr. Big in one episode, to be totally honest. Yeah, yeah, same. I bet they were too. Yeah. You know? And it's so it's so funny because, like, you know, you and I have listened to so many interviews over the years with these creators and it is one of those things and it it, it really bears, it, it always bears repeating, I think, because I think it's a narrative that gets lost in these stories is that um, everybody who works with Chris Knopf adores him. Yeah. And, and, and adored him for years. And like Sarah Jessica Parker, who, you know, I think is a very like trustworthy sort of figure, yeah. right? Was like, my, my, my dear friend, I adore him. He's my whatever. And like the fact that abusers don't treat the people in their lives and the people they work with very badly. They, they reserve that for the young and the vulnerable. And so I think it's just important to keep that front of mind in places because each of us will have a moment where we're have to we'll have to be asked to believe something about someone we respect or whatever yes and in those moments you have to remember the way they treat me is not the way they treat everybody completely which must have been a really jarring experience for those actresses to deal with you know yeah yeah and thank god I do feel like culturally we have now got to a point where we understand that discrepancy and we understand that the truth of how someone is with us day to day doesn't mean that it contradicts the horrific truth of the claims of other people. Yeah. Because I was waiting after those allegations came out. I just was waiting, being like, please, please make a statement. Please make a statement. Please yeah. make a statement about, you know, with the creators and with those actresses. Because, you know, time was not so long ago that those actresses wouldn't have said anything. Yeah. But I think yeah. now we have entered a time where we understand this more and immediately they came out and stood with the stood in allegiance with the women and commended their bravery, immense bravery, yeah. for telling their story of the horrific things that happened at the hand of Chris North. And I just think we are getting it more now. Yeah. So for old time's sake, I'm gonna ask you to read the manifesto. We are not here to relentlessly slag off the show because patchy sex in the city is better than no sex in the city. As with the original podcast, we're going to be looking back on the series as a whole piece of work and so may not discuss every plot point, fan reaction or news headline that emerged while the show was airing. We're going to talk about the elements of the series that most interested us rather than going through it with a fine-tooth comb. And we are certainly not going to take the piss out of actors for being over 50. Yeah, because there was a lot of fucking ageist bullshit that happened around that time. And I saw a lot of it on Twitter from, like, people I respect. People I'm friends with did it. Yeah. And I was like, I can't believe that this is... That you're making fun of Sarah Jessica Parker's face. Yeah, and also, like, I can't believe we, we're making fun of women for looking their age and then doing this, like, ah, gotcha moment when we think that we've caught them out trying to prevent their age. Nuts. It's nuts. Anyway, last last declaration of the manifesto. We may not love and just like that the most, but... We certainly tried the most. <laughs> and that's what you're about to hear, ladies and two gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> you're about to hear people talking about what they loved and reacted to and responded to. There will be light notes and lots of laughs, but I no ire... No eye rolling. No. No, I can't believe they did that to Miranda. None of that. No. I don't have the energy for it. <laughs> don't have the energy. I just think we should live in our joy. I agree, Caroline. <laughs> All right, episode one. Hello, it's me. 
So I originally didn't like this opening. And then as always, when I have a conversation with you, you persuaded me it was brilliant. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I do think it's brilliant now. I don't know what I wanted, actually. I think starting with a declaration of Bradshaw party of three was smart because it just mm -hmm. basically roots everyone in this idea of this is a new world and there's not going to be a fourth person there. Mm -hmm. I think the Bitsy Von Muffling cameo was kind of genius. Yes. I love... One thing... Sometimes it's hard to understand which fans they're talking to, if mm. you know what I mean. Mm. But when they get right and when they realise the right characters to bring back, like Susan Sharon, yeah. like Bitsy Van Muffling, yeah. it's like, oh, you do understand why we like it. We love these like weird little characters. Yeah. That, um, and just seeing her again made me so happy. And what was strange about it is like she goes, oh, where is Samantha or whatever? And then Charlotte goes, she's no longer with us. And then Bitsy thinks that Samantha is dead. From COVID. From COVID. But then we find out in the next episode that fucking Bobby Fine died of COVID, like really early on in COVID. Yeah. And I just want to say... R.I.P. Bobby. R.I.P. Bobby. Yeah. He was like one of our faves. Yeah, they didn't show that the respect it deserved. I really am mad about in, it. In the notes, Caroline wrote, I want to sit shiver for Bobby Fine. <laughs> I would like us to sit shiver for Bobby Fine. Because there's a really heartbreaking scene in episode two when, when Bitsy's at the at Big's funeral. And she's like, you know, I lost Bobby so early in the COVID that no one knew how to do Zoom shiver yet. I thought that was the most heartbreaking line yeah. of dialogue. Yeah. Fucking, I stand Bitsy Von Muscling even more now. Me I too. always liked her and now I love her. Why do you think they chose Bitsy as the first Sex and City all cameo. all the people they could have chosen. It's an interesting choice. Who would have been like a, like a, on the short list, do you think? Because even though there are so many cameos in Sex and the City and so many one-time characters, mm. they do disappear again. It's actually mm. rare to have someone come back two or three times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also think as well, it's something, it's reassuring. Because I think that writers would have been trying in this first section of episode one to reassure us that even though this is a very different world and a new world and a mm. new format and a new structure, it, it's still, there are still Easter eggs from the old yeah. world. So, and, and Bitsy's so esoteric and she's so like, only true fans would know her as a returning character. Yeah. She's only been in what, like three episodes. Yeah. Um, that maybe that's, that maybe it's just like a little signal, like a secret signal to the fans to be like, like don't worry. It, it, it really yeah. is, yeah. We still have the, the DNA. Yeah, we still intact. got the DNA, exactly. Yeah. And then we have the sort of... So we, we've mentioned already <clears throat> a couple of times the And Just Like That Writer's Room podcast. So the Writer's Room podcast is spearheaded by Michael Patrick King and the two most long-standing writers for Sex and City, Elise Zeritsky and Julie Rattenberg. And they also have a rotating uh, sort of fourth person who is like a newer writer. Um... So it's wonderful because these are, you know, people who know the show better than anyone, but it's quite embarrassing because <laughs> of how frequently Michael Patrick King is moved by himself. And in Monica's ass, it was discussed. <laughs> Monica said, I think it's so true, that it is incredibly dangerous when you find yourself being moved by yourself. And yeah. I'm sorry to say it's a daily occurrence for me. And me. I think it's why we're <laughs> friends. You and I definitely have written long texts or emails to each other with a tear in our eye and imagined them one day being posthumously <laughs> exhibited under a glass case. 
Put it in letters of note. Yeah. <laughs> you can really tell when you and I are in like a letters of note mood with each other. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, he's very moved by himself. So we, there are so many voice notes you and I have sent each other, um, just impersonating Michael Patrick King, and you can so see why he uh, has been getting TV shows made for thirty years because he's terrifyingly convincing. He is the most convincing salesperson ever. Yeah. Will you please do your Michael Patrick King impersonation for yeah. the audience? In this scene, we made a choice. And it was a very bold choice. <laughs> Lisa and I decided that when we had Carrie take a shit, that she was going to slowly stand up and she was not going to flush. Because in that moment, it was, <laughs> it was a symbol. And it was a sign. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a sign. We were saying, she is in the shit. She is in the shit of life. And I, we were, we, it was deadly silent as we shot it. And I, I turned to Elise and we didn't have to say a word to each other. We looked at each other and we just said, that is movie magic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's everyone, a bit exaggerated, but not that you, exaggerated. Everyone has to, the minute they stop listening to this podcast, has to go straight over to that one because it's so funny. And what you did is so accurate. He's like, <laughs> And, and that's the great thing about Sarah Jessica, is that she will take a shit on screen. <laughs> he cries, like, every episode. I know, I he know. He cries about his own writing. And do you know what? I'm, I'm <laughs> no, the, we've all been there, but do it privately. <laughs> the worst thing about it, I mean, obviously, it was, like, the, the sort of the bittersweetness of the enjoyment of, of that was that, like, I suddenly got a sense of what our worst critics would think and say about us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I never felt embarrassed about the fact that we frequently, um, you know, moved ourselves to tears. <laughs> with, our with our own observations. With our own observations about a 20-year-old TV show. <laughs> um, because, I, and I, you know, I, I'm so, I feel so proud of those podcasts that we did because it was in peak lockdown. It yeah. was so, we were both so miserable and we were working so hard on other projects. And it was this beautiful little space where we could be so open. And then yeah. we welcomed all these other people in and were listening to Michael Patrick King. It's confronting. Riot his own stuff. Yeah. I was like, oh no. I know. I know. <laughs> but it's not charming. <laughs> do, you, I know, do you know what else is really triggering for me? What? Is we watched him just like that. And obviously, like everyone, as much as we, as much goodwill as we had, like it, it was disappointing in moments. Yeah. And it was like baffling some of the choices they made. <laughs> and I would watch like, the worst episode of been just like that. <laughs> and then I would listen to Michael Patrick King fucking spaff on the mic about his own scenes for an hour. Mm. And by the end of it, I would I would finish that episode and be like, that episode was incredible. Yeah. And I would be so convinced. Like, he would explain every single decision they made as writers and every single decision they made as a director. And I would be like, oh, I get it. I get what they were trying to do. It wasn't executed perfectly, but there was logic and love and thoughtfulness and respect to the characters made by every choice. And then, because I was making a TV show at the time. I can't imagine. It really freaked me out because I was like, oh my God, no one who makes bad TV is doing it thoughtlessly. Then yeah. no one is like thinking they're making a bad show and no one is like choosing not to think. They're just, everyone who, on the whole, nearly everyone who makes art at that level is is smart, is funny, is 
compassionate and thoughtful and wants to put beautiful things into the world. And guess what? They make fucking trash. Yeah. And it really worried me. It's frightening. Yeah. It's frightening. Because I think people would prefer to think that, um, you know, a bunch of sort of like hardened Hollywood bullshitty people who just like uh, got a huge deal from yeah, HBO yeah. Max and just spaffed out this stuff. This is clearly like a deeply thought out process yeah. that yeah. in many senses still failed. Totally. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying. And I actually went into one of my execs after I'd been listening to it and I was like, do you know what? It is sort of brilliant. It, I, I do understand why there should maybe be an opportunity for every episode of television and every album ever made and every film ever made for the creators to do a one hour podcast to explain like by the way this is why we made we didn't try we weren't dropping the ball like this is why we made these decisions and this is why they like did or didn't succeed and she said to me well like well you can do that for your show if you want and I really thought about it and I was like "Ah, I do think it's cheating the if you have to explain the joke I do think it's cheating because I also think as well it is I wonder why they started that podcast and I wonder if it was in if it was anticipating bad faith Mm. and whether it was to defend their choices before anyone could come after them about it and I just don't think we should be making art like that something they said on that podcast that I did find very illuminating and gave great reasoning to why the show would exist other than the obvious reasons was um, in their eyes, the original Sex and the City was about how fundamentally awkward it is to be a single person in your 30s. Yeah. And how the world is made for couples and after a certain point you feel defective, you feel like a spare part, all these different things. And then they said the reasoning behind and just like that was the awkwardness of being middle age. Mm, I think it's really, really clever, that observation. Yeah. And it, it was one of the things, like, oh, you guys do know what you're doing. Yeah. And I do think that is what the series is about. Like, it's about the awkwardness of, like, living... And I guess that must happen for every generation of middle-aged person. Mm. Where, you know, you're you're busy with family, you're busy with life, and you kind of take your eye off the ball, culturally speaking. Yeah. And then things seem to have moved on. And then you try, like Miranda does to sort of grapple and get get up to speed by studying for it. And then the studying that you do for it feels very rehearsed and strange. Yeah. And like that I find very interesting. Totally. And it is part of the, for want of a better phrase, like the woke stories yeah. in this series that I thought were like really profound and effective was the fact that we remember those four women as running that fucking city. Like, yeah. we remember them being the coolest people. We remember them, like, knowing everything before anyone else. Like, we remember them being fucking boss. And, and like, now we are watching them and we can't kind of believe our eyes that they are embarrassing and they, like, get yeah. things wrong and that they misjudge things and they don't understand things. You know, we're watching these women, like, just get it wrong and be disempowered because of their age. Yeah. And I think that's profound. You're so right. That is part of the jarring thing that upset people so much, I think, is that like, yeah, you're right. They did run that city. Even when they were having awkward, bad dates and stuff. Yeah. They were always at club openings and yeah. all that kind of thing. And it would be sort of silly to have 55-year-olds at club openings because it's just not yeah. real, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about the Samantha thing. Because yeah. obviously the the... The clever thing that they did is like they realized that nobody would be able to focus on the show whatsoever until they addressed Samantha. 
And then they said, you know, Samantha's in London. Yeah, they literally did it in the first breath. And I yeah. think that was the right thing. Clever. But I'm obsessed with the post-brunch chat between Miranda and Carrie of Miranda. Of them just like walking down the street and Miranda doing that pause and being like, it's, it is like she's dead. Yeah. Because it does feel like, oh, they're doing the TV thing of like having just a character go to London like or yeah. whatever. Which We've seen it in so many different shows. But then to have like them really pause and make that a storyline. Mm. I really loved it. What yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you what I really liked. It's definitely felt real mm. and it definitely felt dramatic. And I didn't know that I felt that it was real and dramatic until the first time Carrie got a text from her. Yeah. And I was like on the edge of my seat. It felt, I know. And I felt she was there. Her presence was there. And it felt like Samantha still was in this series, which is kind of like... Amazing. Amazing that they managed to do that. It's amazing that that, that she felt present and that it didn't feel fake. I felt yeah. like I could see Samantha in her like flat in Knightsbridge, <laughs> in her yes. La Perla nightgown, like sending those texts to Carrie. Yeah, they were so well judged, those texts. Yeah. Considering they are characters we've never seen text. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mad. And like, I'm obsessed with the feud. Because mm. I think we were given the exact right amount of detail on the mm. feud. Because mm. I think it's like, it's so clear that they wanted to be faithful to both characters. Yeah. I can so see, because we've seen them professionally rub up against each other before. Mm. Like with the book cover thing and the blowjob and that whole episode. Which is one of their best episodes as a dynamic. Yeah. Um, and this sort of thing of like, Samantha's version of PR being a bit dated. And it being a bit centered around parties mm. and that kind of thing. And you can so see a world where, uh, you know, Samantha's gotten the launch of some books for Carrie a bit wrong, mm. a little bit wrong. Mm. And they didn't really sell and they didn't chart and all kind of roads lead back to Samantha. And Carrie does her, maybe I could dribble hot tea on you voice yes. with Samantha and fires her. And Samantha's like, you're fucking full of shit. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. I, I'm obsessed with that conversation. Yeah. And obviously they were hamstrung, like they, yeah. because the, the thing that you see over and over again with criticism of how they handled that story was like, oh, but Samantha prides herself on being a really good friend. So Samantha yeah. would have come back for the funeral. And it's like, yeah, well, no shit, they couldn't get her. Yeah, so, well, like, like, no shit. Like, <laughs> that level of, that, that area of criticism baffled me. It's like, Kim Cattrall doesn't want to do it. Yes, it's like you work with what you've got, which it's, is, a, it's which a is like an something being actor. set in space and then being like, well, they didn't get the real moon. Yes. <laughs> No shit. <laughs> totally. And I think you just like, we know the reason why she's not there. Yeah. Accept that and see the like amazing work they did around that. Yeah. And I I do think it's a believable story. I do think particularly that it pertains to this idea of like, what it is to be relevant and what it is to like be, you know, the way that youth is so celebrated in Manhattan and in the Western world and in mm. this show, like it all ties in the fact that Samantha, like maybe isn't quite as PR literate these days yeah. as she was before, or even though she's like, you know, incredibly knowledgeable and talented. The only thing that I did find strange is how much the story of Samantha's departure mirrored the story of Kim Cattrall's departure. I thought I was more to her than an ATM. Yeah. 
And the, we all know yeah. that like Kim Cattrall left in part because of money stuff, right? Like, yeah. She wanted um, equity with Sarah Jessica Parker. Parker. Yeah. And the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker was kind of her boss because she was an exec and yeah. she had a deal done in series one, which was different to all the other girls' deals because she was like part uh, of A movie the, star. She was a movie star and she was part of the creative force of it. She was always like a decision maker on the show. Mm. And the fact that Kim Cattrall like really resented the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker was her boss, basically, which yeah. kind of mirrors the story of like yeah. what happened when Carrie sacked her. So that's the only thing that I that I slightly bumped on. Oh, that's good. Thing, because it? I felt like, is this just an excuse to slag off Kim Cattrall? <laughs> it was. It was sort of like deliciously in that room of plausible deniability, though, wasn't it? Yeah, which yeah, made yeah. it a little, like, a tiny bit bitchy. Yeah, a tiny bit. Yeah, which kind of made it nice. <laughs> And the fact that Cynthia Nixon and Kristen Davis are so caught in between, which is yeah. like so, again, mirroring that alleged feud in real life. I know it would have been quite hard to do, but I would love to have had more of Miranda missing Samantha. Yeah, same. Because like, I think we talked about this in, in, the, in the original podcast, but like they really amuse each other in a way that is like quite separate. Yeah, and the the bit and I, I it's such an odd scene that bit where they're talking about uh, Miranda stepping on Brady's used condom. Oh yeah, strange and, that conversation. And Carrie kind of won't engage. <clears throat> yeah, prudish Carrie comes back, which is this very strange facet to her personality, which occasionally yeah. just appears. Yeah, she's very prudy, and then there's a kind of um a very interesting, like a beat mist. There's like a silence at the table and you can kind of hear the white noise of the cafe. Mm. And it's like, oh, this would be the moment where Samantha would chime in and say, Honey! Funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I actually yeah. thought that was really like brave. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> like it's brave writing to have yes, an awkward thing not land. Yeah. The way yeah. that you do feel it when somebody who's part of your gang doesn't pick up that ball. And they really did um, try and embed you know, the absence of Samantha in every part of that scene, in that opening scene, as I heard when Michael Patrick King was moving himself to tears <laughs> on the podcast about it. Something that was very important to him was that when the two, when Carrie and Miranda <clears throat> stand up to leave when Lisa Todd Wexley arrives, mm -hmm. that LTW, she doesn't sit in the fourth seat. And if that's not who she is. <laughs> She's not the new Samantha. Carrie and Miranda get up and leave. <laughs> Guys, I'm so sorry, but you have to listen to this. You have to so listen. And when, when you listen, you will realise that this is really not an exaggeration. <laughs> and it was also brilliant. But anyway, they, yeah, so they, re he, they really thought about this idea of like Samantha not being replaced by these other characters and her absence still being respected and acknowledged. Yeah. Yeah. Which in a way, <clears throat> I understand. I understand why they didn't replace Samantha with a fourth person. But I gotta say, I think like the number one issue with and just like that is structural. Yeah. And I, I agree. And it, that's the main issue I have with it is that I, I just think there were too many characters and not enough space. There was not enough time in 45 minutes to explore all these new characters and their separate B stories yeah. with characters that we don't know. Like the moment when I was like, this something's gone so wrong with this. Why are we watching Naya Wallace having dinner with her friends and talking about exactly IVF? That, it's like Exactly that scene. I thought something, how have they thought this was the right 
Yeah. Because it's not even about caring about those characters or how brilliant those characters were. It's just like, we don't have the space. Like, we barely have the space to see Charlotte interact with her children. Yeah. And I think that they probably wanted to provide each woman with, like, a new world of friendship, which which they say in the Writers' Room podcast is a huge part of being in your 50s that you, your worlds do expand and you make these mm. new friendships in middle age. But a part of me does think, like, they should have kept it as a half hour. They should have kept Carrie doing a column mm. with that, like, th- thematic interlinking voiceover that she does that glues it all together and helps you feel close to her. And they should have just play- replaced Samantha with Cena. Yeah. But we have to remember, season one of Sex and the City was dodgy as fuck. Yeah. What if this goes on for six years and by season two, they've rounded off all these rough edges. They've yeah. kept what works. That oh, we know we know that season one ends with her doing her Sex and the City podcast. Yeah. What if that becomes the new voiceover? Yes. Do you mean remember all the dodgy shit that yeah, happened in true. season one? That's true. Talking to the camera, all that crap. I think yeah, and the talking heads, all the yeah. random people. Yeah, I think, and they really focused. You were completely right. Yeah. I do think there are going to be subsequent series to this. Yeah. And I'm excited to see. Yeah, me too. What happens? Yeah. Right. Because there's enough good worth keeping. Mm. I think. But let's talk about the podcast. Mm. What's it called again? X, X y, y, and Me, Caroline. A very brilliant podcast. <laughs> There's been a lot of chat about Miranda not listening to podcasts because it felt like the first huge clangor for yeah. most fans being like, Miranda was always kind of ahead of the curve techn- with technology. Yeah, and, and she stuff. was a news head and she was, yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. Here, so having watched it again last night, here's my new theory. <laughs> I already love it. Miranda does listen to podcasts. And she hates. <laughs> Miranda fucking she loves like listening to West Cork. She loves and the Daily and, and the Daily yeah. and like John Oliver's old podcast or whatever. She fucking loves podcasts. <laughs> what she doesn't like is like miscellaneous relationship comedy chatty podcasts. So she she pretends to carry like she's never she doesn't understand podcasts. Yeah. Every time she has a weekend away with Carrie, she has to delete the podcast app from her <laughs> phone. <laughs> yeah, I totally buy this. Because I understand plot-wise, when you watch the episodes again, you're like, oh, um, we need Miranda to not know who Che is in order for them to have that oh, unique of course, of course. where Miranda yells at yeah. Che. And then they're introduced and it's very awkward. Uh so they needed that to happen. It probably was as simple as that, actually. Yeah. It's amazing how, like, when you're so desperate for plot to be propelled, how willing you can, when you get so desperate, how willing you can be to be like, we're just going to completely ignore this, like, character fact about them. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love the alternate world where Miranda loves podcasts, just hates Carrie's podcast. <laughs> I love it. Because it is awkward, like, as a podcaster myself, and you were, you know, formerly had a weekly podcast, when you have friends who are like just don't listen and like uh, you feel fine about it because you're like but they feel awkward they feel awkward about yeah. it yeah. yeah and they bring it up all the time they'll be like oh i've got to i must listen and you're yeah. like it's fine it's fine i don't care yeah kind of thing. yeah very funny <laughs> yeah it's that podcast it, it was the f- it was the first thing that made me think like oh no only yeah. because yes you're right me too because uh, only because you and i have a very strong belief that if you're going to depict art within art... It has to be airtight. It has to be believable. Yeah. It just... 
bumps you out of it so hard and fast mm. if you feel you're watching people make a fake thing. Yeah. And they could have done that really easily, I think. They could have, like, made those podcast hosts, like, more charming, funnier, more familiar. Jackie. That worst character I think I've ever seen on television, that Jackie. I don't, I don't understand. So weird. I just think they could have done just, like, tiny fine-tuning to make that feel real. It really wouldn't have taken that much to make that podcast it, like, feel real. To talk to like one person in their thirties, do you yeah. know what I mean? Or like, yeah. it, do you know what I mean? Like it, it felt that's what it felt like a very foggy sort of like interpretation of what podcasts are, well, and yeah. that was what was kind of embarrassing about it. It's like, yeah. oh, this is what like sixty-five-year-old Michael Patrick King thinks a podcast is. Do yeah. you know what I mean? That the woke moment button and the yeah, it was it was, and the fact that they had like callers like it was like a radio, like a radio show yeah. mad yeah um i just it's the only thing that i'm like god they could have just with so little work they could have got that so yeah. much better yeah because they do talk a lot about how they like talk to various different activist groups about how to represent different trans storylines like talk to a podcast talk, talk to one podcast talk to me <laughs> the one the thing i like about the podcast thing though is carrie being bad at it yeah, I love that. I think it really gets to something that I wish we had seen more of. Mm. This thing of, first of all, Carrie being a prude who deflects and how... And this is, like, the I think the most genius moments of that first episode is, is that, like, you see these characters behaving as they have kind of always behaved. Yeah. And, um, but framed in a way of, like, the, the, the new world looking at them. Mm. So mm. it happens here where it's, like, we're used to Carrie deflecting it and then that ball being picked up by Samantha. Yeah. And then yeah. her being able to nudge it into a place that's suggestive but not dirty. But not, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that just falling totally flat in this podcasting world. And then we see it happen again. And I loved this moment where you have uh, Miranda on the subway with Naya explaining why she's pivoting out of corporate law. Mm. And it's this thing where she's talking about how she saw on the news, the Muslim ban and all these lawyers going to the airport. And I was so moved watching it. I was like, oh, of course Miranda would have seen that. Of course she would have like had this moment of pause where she talked about, thought about what she was doing with her life. Because we've seen her have those micro moments before with corporate life. And and this brilliant moment of like an important moment for the character we love because she's our best friend. Mm. Having to explain herself to someone who doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Like, it was so smart. It's really good. Those moments, I think, are twins. Mm. You know? Yeah, I agree. And I think, I have to say, I found that podcast moment with Carrie incredibly triggering. Why? You've got a podcast, famously. (laughs) No, because um, I have definitely had experience of, when I was writing about dating and sex and love in my my mid-20s or even early 20s, obviously that wasn't like the 90s, um, but (laughs) it was, I definitely like, probably because I watched too much Sex and the City, I definitely like constructed a sense of like openness about my sexuality and daringness about my romantic life and sexual life that basically completely managed to circumvent any specific details of what my mm. what my sex life actually is yeah sort of practice coyness practice coyness that meant that I could get a sense of like closeness with people and that they could know that broadly I'm like a sexually liberal person yeah but that like they don't know whether I've like fucking done anal and they don't know whether <laughs> I've had a threesome and like yeah. you know they, and that's not because it's very Carrie Bradshaw yeah, yeah and and 
now we're in a place of like sex positivity movement, which is for so many reasons an amazing thing. Like I've been invited into those spaces sometimes and like because they see me as someone who's like very anti-slut shaming and sex shame, by definition, that should mean that I should be comfortable with disclosing about like whether I like anal sex. Mm. But for me, it's like, it's too, that's uh, never something I'm gonna want to do. And I can understand that for them, they feel like, well, you have shame around sex if you're not willing for people to yes. know these things about you. Whereas for me, it's more like, I want a private space of my own. I don't want people to know how I fuck. And I don't want, like, I want that to be like a very nice treat and surprise when you get into bed. <laughs> I, don't, I really cannot think of anything like- A treat and a surprise. A treat and a surprise wrapped up in a bow. <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, and see, I'm doing it. very sweet about referring to yourself like, as a treat and a surprise. <laughs> and now, if I carry it, say, and let me tell you, it is quite a surprise. <laughs> when big colours. He goes outside the lane. <laughs> yeah, and I really felt like I wanted to say, like, what you guys are doing, like, is so fucking cool. And, like, what, like, what you, this, what, like, sex positivity and, and feeling so unashamed that you can disclose every detail is so cool, but, like, don't make me. Don't make me do it. But then equally, you feel like you kind of like you can see Carrie's discomfort because like she wants to be in the camp of people who are making yes. sexual waves, but she's held back by this like you know not nothing shameful like just quite traditional just idea private. of what privacy is. Which is why it's again once again the fan discourse that swallowed up certain things and therefore we didn't get to talk about other things which was that moment I think was so fucking interesting and it was swallowed up by the fact that the podcast was so embarrassing as a whole. <laughs> but I love that moment when Shay's like, you can't just sit there and giggle. Yeah. And then uh, immediately pivots to like, you you had a sex column in a mainstream newspaper in the 90s. You're the OG. And it was this great little moment and it's played really well of like... um giving Carrie the respect she deserves, but also kind of treating her like a GCSE project. Yes. You know I mean? Like you're kind of this artifact that I dug up as totally. the producer of this podcast. Yes. You know? The moment I knew for sure that Big was going to die was when I saw them being so happy. Yeah. Because they are never happy for very long. Yeah. And, you know... Their, their domestic life, definitely on repeated viewing, is just really beautiful to watch as well. Mm. This thing of like, you really do get sense of you on each other for 20 years. Like, she cooks now, you know, that's, I, I was really happy that she can make food now. <laughs> I know, I was happy she can make food. <laughs> and I love that bit when he's like, I remember when you kept sweaters in the stove and she's like, well, I remember you when you had black hair. That it really like moved, it really moved me and made me realise like how special it is to participate yeah. in a fandom and in, in an ongoing like serialised piece of culture for 20 years. I'm like, I've known this couple yeah. since the 90s. Like, I remember when he had black hair. Yeah. I remember when she couldn't cook. I love it. It feels like a real honour, I think, like that moment between them. It's rare. Just, it's really rare. Yeah. It doesn't really exist anywhere else in the same way. Mm. Um, and now it won't exist because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but also, do you know what else I liked about it? Is It's like, here is a couple without children yeah. having a peaceful domestic life as well as like sparking chemistry and mischief. And it's really like, 
wonderful like it's really aspirational it you is. just don't see that on tv it's crazy you don't see that on tv yeah there is no sense of grief or loss or absence in their life because they don't have a family it's never really addressed never never addressed i loved that and because we just we so badly need those representatives completely and hopefully we'll start getting representatives where you know they both live yeah <laughs> But like just even to have that for a few minutes, just to see like one person in their sixties, the other in their fifties, um, like doing their little albums together and yeah. getting really excited about Todd Rundgren and like yeah, and being sexy together, being really. sexy together, yeah. yeah. And the I think as well, it's like a nice palate cleanser after the second film, which was like Carrie wants to go to a restaurant every night. <laughs> It's like, oh, thank God, they worked it out. They, like, found an equilibrium. She makes salmon I can't sometimes. believe the drama of that film was Carrie wants to go to a restaurant. Every <laughs> night. Every night. And the TV in the bedroom. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I love seeing all that. And also, oh, my God, when you rewatch it uh, and she comes out in her in her wedding shoes, the, mm. those blue shoes that I hate. Um, I hate those shoes. I fucking hate those shoes. <laughs> They look they like do. Tudor shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like the fucking the Arlefini wedding, that Dutch painting. Like yeah. Pointy, I hate or, them. Or just like a Tudor courtier. Hate them. Yeah. And also dual tones triggering. Yeah. Um. The. The last look. The last look. The thing That's I'm, when I knew he was snuffing it. It's a like yeah, it's a funny moment, isn't it? They really do signpost it, don't they? When they when he's like, she's like, oh, a cigar and a workout in one night, old heart stopper. <laughs> but you no, know, it just stop short of you stop my heart when I look at you. <laughs> but when they had that last look, I did really feel the space there of like, oh god, this is the last. Look. Yeah, I felt yeah. dread. I felt pure dread. Can we before we move on? Can we talk about the wanking scene? Because I <gasps> loved that. Scene. I love the wanking scene. It was perfectly pitched. I thought. Yeah, and also I just think like so commendable of them. I mean, what would have been braver if it, if it was Carrie masturbating? Yeah, but I just felt Sorry, like Mark's not going to do that. I know. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com But I just felt like one of my weird hills that I'm go- that I will always die on is like aging sexuality and how yeah. like we have got to get over our mockery and disgust of it. Like mm. it's the only thing that is guaranteed for all of us. Like we are going to get old and we are still going to be horny. Yeah, and we have to fucking normalize that and not make it a punchline for things. Yeah, and like. 
I did think it was brave of the writers to show like, you know, these older people have like doing something quite graphic and it yeah. and it not being funny. Like it's hot. Yeah. And her, I loved it. Her when she comes in from, from writing. By the way, I love her little writing spot. Yeah, me too. It's nice, isn't it? It's so a childless couple because if you had kids, that little foyer writing spot could not exist. There'd be too much thoroughfare. Like Peppa Pig bollocks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're just kind of coming in and, and, and it kind of a joke, but then very much not a joke. And then going back to being a joke again and then they shine. Yeah, it's hot. It's so well pitched. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. And it, it, it recalled the best of Sex in the City because it was that thing of like, ooh, I'm kind of uncomfortable. I'm kind of on the edge of my seat, but I also desperately want to know what happens next. Yeah. You know, and this is a version of sexuality I haven't seen before. Yeah. I just feel like we're so proud of ourselves now to like have scenes where like, oh, a 25-year-old girl is masturbating in her bedroom to Barack Obama. It's like, yeah. we're so proud of ourselves for showing that sign of female sexuality that is essentially sexy. Mm. But like... No, I want to see a fucking 85-year-old ranking. <laughs> yeah. then, then I'll be proud of us. <laughs> As a Truly, I feel so strongly about it. I wish there'd been a little bit more of it, actually. I'm glad that Harry got his dong out, which we'll obviously yeah. talk about. <laughs> we'll get to it. But, but yeah, I would have loved a bit more of that. That's the other thing as well, is, like, those B stories that were the, like, beating heart of the show, really, about, yeah. like, I'm dating a man with the funkiest tasting spunk. Or, like, you know, the, all those, like, what is sexuality in all its, like, grossness and glory. The problem is, is, like, they just don't, probably the actors, like, in their 50s now don't really want to do those storylines, yeah. which is understandable. Um or they're just like too enmeshed in these more grown up things like grief or yeah raising families or whatever. But the problem is when you replace those B stories with like issues, yeah, issues or slightly more like domestic stories, they're just it, it that's the slight heart, the beating heart that's slightly missing that yeah. like daring naughtiness and mischief. Which makes, I mean, if this is a season one of many seasons, yeah. It makes me glad that they're trying things out to see what sticks. Yeah. And the thing is, like, look, they did try it. They tried it in that fingering scene in the kitchen and everyone fucking ripped the piss out of them for it. <laughs> I kind of love it, though. Yeah. Um, we should probably move on to Big's death. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That is a fucking graphic death scene. It was beautiful, wasn't it? It was beautifully done, the way they Stunning. intercut it with the piano. Yeah. I thought it was quite masterful, actually. Do you think it was intentional fan service, that whole thing of Lily ruining Carrie's life again? <laughs> <laughs> Lily being, like, the sweetest, loveliest uh, teenager <laughs> and her consistently ruining Carrie's life. <laughs> yeah, maybe it was. Do you know what? On my rewatch last night, I noticed all these different elements that make that that scene so beautiful. Do you notice that when he collapses that Carrie's fiddling with her wedding ring? No, I didn't know. Yeah, that. when he's dying, when he first collapses to the floor, she's watching Lily and she's holding onto her wedding ring the whole time. Oh, God. Yeah, it's really beautifully done. Ugh. There's obviously been a lot of, like, which I know you hate. This is something, if you ever want to, like infuriate and alienate Caroline instantly instantly it's to like get really pedantic about the technicalities of a story and why they're not believable like why did Carrie not ring an ambulance like just don't you can bring that to me listeners if you want to and I'll just ignore the dms but if you if you send them to Caroline she will be I'll block you she will block you (laughs) 
Because here's that. It's so weird because like, you know how um, that thing of like, you hate things much more when they mirror your own thing. Yeah. And like, to me, it's very clear to me that like, I love in like very uh, forensic fan culture, but when it's done with this like very full hearted sort of wanting to imagine full lives for people. Yeah. And for some, and that that is spiritually very close to analyzing why Rose didn't make room on the door on the Titanic or why yeah. carried like, but to me, it feels like spiritually a world apart. And I'm like, yeah. I want nothing to do with those no, people. No, I understand. Because also as well, it's not do- a documentary. Yeah. It's a film. It's, it's, it's a TV show. And therefore, like, the decisions you make are impressionistic. Yes. Like, impressionistic is the perfect word for it. Yeah. They capture feeling and they capture atmosphere and they capture emotion. They're not capturing, yeah. like what it is to see, you know, to have someone have a heart attack minute by minute, like what the medical procedure is. Like yeah. that's boring. What we wanted to see is like- and also we've seen it. We've, we've seen, seen people ring times. 911 on fucking TV. Fucking watch Holby City. Yeah. <laughs> like fucking hell. I just think like what is so moving about that moment is like that understanding of that split second. That's obviously like they slow the frames down. Oh. Um, they slow the frames down and they like slow things right down. So that moment when they look at each other, we know in real life would have been two seconds, but in this impressionistic that artistic is. world, it's six seconds or seven seconds or whatever. And it's about the moment you realize that you're about to lose someone. Yeah. It's really moving. It's perfect. It's so perfect. And this, you're dead right. It's like, the only thing I can compare it to, I've never like watched a person die, but like the that moment where a glass tips off a table and you see the glass and fall in yeah, slow motion. Exactly. That's what it feels like. And that sort of I don't know how they did it. Or how he did it. Well, I've literally got <laughs> I know <laughs> goosebumps! I'm literally just like thinking about that moment before she screams his name. Yeah. I'm so much Michael Patrick Kinging it over here. I've got such goosebumps. So moved. <laughs> um yeah, and and there's something about like if you if you've ever had like a dead pet kind of thing. <laughs> Sorry. I've really, really underwritten your goosebumps with a mad thing to say. Go on. Have you ever had a pet that you've seen? die or or whatever no because i had smothering parents who wanted to keep the realities of death a lie to me there's this thing of like when you imagine death as a young person you think yeah. it's like and then their eyes close and then they die yeah and their spirit yeah. leaves the building but what but like you notice when you see an animal die for the first time where you're like kind of a light leaves their mm. eye and then the the glassiness that mm. comes over them and the eyes don't close. And that's actually shocking the first yeah. time you realise that. Yeah. And they do it with him where you just see this sense of like, you do get a sense of like, he's kind of been hanging on. Maybe he's not even all all the way still alive. Yeah. When yeah. Carrie opens the door. Like yeah. The synapses are shutting down kind yeah. of thing. Because it's protracted. Death yeah. is so often much more protracted than we think it is. And just the agony of that, of him just like slowly losing consciousness and sort of the last spark of it is there for that last look. And then you just watch the light leave his eye. Mm. I don't know how you do that. Whether it's movie magic or just acting or whatever. I agree. It's fucking frightening. It is frightening. And I have to say, even though I kind of knew he was going to die, the minute that they, there's a pause when they go to black and they like (sighs) pre-lap. 
that so- the Candy Stanton yeah. song that Sometimes we know so like oh. a really hollow paired back version of it and then oh. the credits roll and I have to like every time I watch it it is like frightening like it's really scary it makes you feel like you're plunged into a new scary world yeah ugh I think honestly speaking apart from the podcast a perfect first episode mm, I think it's a good episode I'm glad we talked about it for the length of the episode itself <laughs> there wouldn't be enough to talk about but here we are um she talked about ep two yeah number two i think i think episode two was the best of the whole season yeah episode two was strong although i um, i don't understand why they did that opening the opening is of brady fucking with his turtle watching with his turtle watching and then <laughs> and then miranda gets a call yeah i i just wish we had opened that episode with carrie opening the yeah. door I do get that they want to undercut the drama and they, they want to remind us that this is a comedy drama and not yeah. a drama. Yeah. But yeah, I I hated, I hate being reminded of Brady's sexuality constantly. I, I think that opening scene of between Carrie and Miranda with Big, Big's body bag in the background, I think it's like maybe the most powerful scene I've ever seen. Not just like in a just like that, not in ever, like across Sex in the City and in Just Like yeah. That. And it's the most powerful depiction of like what friendship is like I've, I've been around like my best someone I love yeah. like in the moments after someone close to them has died and it is so realistic that exchange like yeah. the fact that Sarah Jessica Parker just looks like a different person like yeah. haunted and you know you can see that the, the that she'd been under that shower with her hair yes and yeah, there's kind of a frizz coming off of it yeah, yeah. and there's just this like look of terror and trauma in her eyes and lost and she sounds like a little girl and then Miranda having no idea what to say like literally the cleverest most thoughtful of her friends has no idea what to say to comfort her and there's just this moment when she says what am I going to do now and Miranda says oh honey oh honey and just hugs her and it's just like it's extremely like very very real the the exchange is um, she says what am I going to do now and then Miranda says something very practical, like, I mm. think we go to the morgue or something. Yeah. And then Carrie goes, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Because it is this thing of, like, they didn't have children and this thing of, like, me and you, just us too. Yeah. And when someone reneges on the deal early like that yeah, by dying, yeah. and you realise that not only has the love of your life disappeared from the earth, but you are on your own now in a way that you were for so long and thought you never would have to be again. Yeah. That's mental. Yeah. <laughs> and it's coming for many of us. Totally. Like, my God. And the the ripples. I think that moment is why so many people have kids that don't really want them. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Like, we've all thought about what that moment will be if you've got yeah. fucking... Yeah. No thanks. <laughs> At least, at least Bitsy Von Muffling has her kids. I know, yeah. Thank <laughs> God, I did think that. I did think that. I did wonder what happened to the, the young Von Mufflings. Um... Her acupuncture babies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you and I are the only ones who will, who will remember that. I literally was just thinking, I really, I just sometimes I have this thing when we're doing these podcasts of imagining someone who's once watched Sex in the City. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my friends say this is good. And they plug in. <laughs> And not only are we talking about this in detail, we're talking about Michael Patrick King's spin-off <laughs> podcast. 
We're doing impressions of the creator. So this podcast is truly for no one. It's for no one. They're definitely, <laughs> we definitely have some Mirandas in our life who pretend they hate podcasts, but actually oh. love podcasts, but they just don't listen to Sentimental. And that's fine. <laughs> and we don't care. And we don't. <laughs> um, so I, I think we're both, we were both also very impressed by the ripples of, of Big's death hitting Charlotte and Harry Beautifully done. Miranda and Stephen Brady. Yeah. yeah. And Stanford and Anthony. Incredible yeah. that moment because they're they're so um, mercurial with each other and they've had yeah. the city sort of spat the episode before and then you just see this moment in the wake of the news where they kind of hold each other and say, let's be kind to each other. And then they, they undercut it with a joke then. Are you yeah. wearing that cologne I hate? <laughs> Sorry, I hurt myself. <laughs> but like... they. I'm glad you brought that up actually because Stanford and Anthony have always been even by us being like why the fuck are those two together like it feels very lazy very reductive very oh let's just pair off the two gay guys yeah but like in that moment the the affection and the love feels really real between the two of them yeah it's the only time we've ever seen real them be tender Yeah. yeah and I do think you know everyone knows what it is in a group of friends to for there to be a sudden loss whether it's like you lose yeah. someone in your group of friends or someone loses a parent or a sibling or a partner and it really those are the moments in life that I have found where like you know think the actual reassessment of everything happens like an actual yeah. moment of like what is important and what is what isn't and I think they captured that really well. That really makes me cry. That moment with Steve and Miranda yeah. consoling each other as they get ready for the funeral. And then Brady walks past and they say, like, we need you. And they have a group hug. Yeah. It just feels like extremely, yeah, just real. I think it's just a really real yeah. episode. Hug, hug your mom. <clears throat> and he's like, I'm fine. And he goes, yeah. well, we're not. Yeah. Yeah. You and oh. I are trying so hard not to cry. I know. Ah. <laughs> uh. I do, I do, I, it makes me so sad how underserved the men are in this. I know. I feel like the show has never understood how much we love those men. I know. And how much we think of them as part of the gang. Yeah, it's annoying that there are certain moments where you feel like, oh, they just don't get what we love. Like, yeah. something that Michael Patrick King says over and over again yeah. on the podcast. And every time he says it, it makes me so fucked off. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we wanted to say to the fans, we know that you think what you want is the old sex in the city of the girls talking about their lives and having cocktails, but then we present you this and now you know, no, this is what we want. This is what we wanted. And it's like, no, we did not want that. We literally want them. We didn't want the turtle watching Brady Fox. No, we want them. Like the day after Carrie's lost her husband, Sitting in a coffee shop, talking about yes. it and consoling each other. Yeah. And do you know as well, because um, on the last episode of Sentimental City, we did so much sort of fan, fantasy yeah. football stuff. Um, I I was filling in the moments that Michael Patrick King would not deign to write. The thing of like, oh, them going on a group holidays together to like Provence. And like, <laughs> I'm gagging for a group holiday I know uh, I want them to go on a group holiday and all get stoned together on a beach like that's what I was desperate for in this series desperate uh, just just a reference to it just one reference to remember that time when we all went to Malibu that was yeah. great you yeah. mean just one of those yeah one nod to the idea that these are an aging friend group who love each other on in a very deep way yeah I think it's what we loved about in the Sex and City movie one of them 
where the, when they were all playing golf together. Yes. I, like, I want to know the men were friends. I want to know Why that. Why do we love that so much? And that Harry maybe... and Steve care about Big. Like, it's because it's their, it's their mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and also, like... That's one of the reasons why I think this is our favourite episode is it's the first time they're like, oh, well, we have to talk about it. Like, we have to yeah. look at how these people interlink. Like, that moment when Steve cries and says, I can't believe he's gone. Because, like, Steve has probably yeah. lost a really good friend. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I just wish, yeah, I wish... I wish there was more. Me too. Yeah. But that's why we love it. Like, I love seeing that moment that I find really moving of, like, all of them in the front row of their friend's funeral. And they're there for his wife, but they're there for him as well. Yeah. And they're like, Brady, he would have grown up with Big in his life, crying at the funeral and Steve yes. like ruffling his hair and that holding his head. Where Brady puts his head on Steve's yeah. shoulder, which I only noticed on the on the rewatch. Yeah. And then he goes outside and gets stoned with Che. Yeah. And then later says, I was upset. And Miranda's like, oh, whatever, kind of thing. Yeah. They're like, I think Brady was upset. Yeah. It's like, maybe it's good that we're left these hints and suggestions and so people like you and me can just fill it in yeah of what life with like uncle john would have been yeah like. yeah i know <laughs> so what did you think we're of- such nerds i know we're such pathetic virgins who've never had sex i know i hope we do have sex <laughs> i can't wait to have sex for the I first time i can't wait i think i think boys might listen to this podcast and want to have sex with us go on a double date to mcdonald's <laughs> Um, what did you think of the funeral? I bumped on it slightly, actually quite a lot. I, I loved it. Okay, I loved it for the, um, it really hammers home the intense awkwardness of funerals. Like Stanford wanting to be Carrie's number one, yeah. asking Gloria to move seats. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, And like Susan Sharon being mental and that, that like, like, what's so interesting about funerals and why they're so rich for narrative is that they're, um, a day like weddings that you have a very definite idea of how they should go mm. and because it's so fraught with people having very difficult emotions they will never go how you want them to go yeah um but aesthetically yeah it felt like Carrie's funeral rather than Big's funeral you know what I mean yes yes so I guess it's quite normal for funerals that they are a reflection of the taste of the person throwing them and not the person they're for I just found it I something that I I should just get over but something I find weird is the fact that she went into this like quite clinical space of the funeral home and it's like it's not big I don't like it it's not yeah. him and then ends up doing it in this like sort of black box theatre like <laughs> yeah it looks with like a projection a, with a projector and saying no flowers and it felt like it was like a devised drama degree final piece yeah that space because yeah. in my head I was like oh she's gonna go to some old like manky jazz bar that he loves I would have loved to see that same with, like, the owner he's known for years or whatever. Oh, do you know what would have been great? If they went back to the jazz club where she met the ADD guy? Because they had that date there. Yes. And then we would have had a, a, a tiny moment of her being like, thanks, and him being like, oh, yeah, you know, kind of thing. And we would have had pork pie moment, and yeah. we would have gone crazy. Yeah. Do and you know what I've just realised we're doing, which what? is very adorable, I think. What? <laughs> you and I basically keep trying to talk about the show, but actually offering up our alternative script. <laughs> <laughs> Deep down, we believe we like we we appreciate everything those people did for us with this show. Yeah, but we still think we would have done it better. <laughs> Will we write on next series? I think maybe not. I was kind of hurt they didn't reach out. <laughs> I was hurt. I was hurt. Yeah, I was hurt. Me too. Um, but yeah, that was the only thing. That was the only thing that uh, that jarred for me. Oh, I'll tell you the moment that got me. 
probably like, I know I've said I've cried and been moved a lot so far, but I think this is the moment I cried the most at Samantha and the Flowers. Mm. Yeah. It it hits me. And I cried again last night watching it. Really? What it, gets you about it? It doesn't get me as much. Oh, it's like, it's something about, you know, the other day, I, I don't have that many friends who I was close with and now are not close with. I, I retain most friendships. And the I other loads. Do you? <laughs> I really shed friendships like a skin. I wish I was more like that. I think I'm just such a sort of nostalgist and a hoarder. I do. I'm mostly in touch with the people I've loved. Mm. There's one girl that I was very close with and uh, we don't talk anymore. And it was not a huge fallout, but it was like an incremental. But I haven't, you know, I haven't seen her in about 10 years. And I found out the other day, someone in passing said to me that her father died. Mm. And I, it, everything that I think about her and everything she thinks about me and all that absence and the fact that she's got a whole life and I've got a whole life we don't know about just melted away in yeah. a second. And I, you know, wrote her a letter and and it's it's just something, you know, and I knew him, you know, I'd spent time with him and I just, it just, something was so truthful for me in that moment of like what that kind of, historic historic love for each other is that in these like all that conflict and all the politics that it all vanishes mm. in a moment where like all I could see was like a, a like a young woman that I once loved grieving yeah. her father mm. and I feel that anytime I hear anything about someone I, I don't speak to anymore or I've you know drifted apart from when they've experienced grief and I just yeah it's just felt very truthful I just found it yeah. I just find it very I can imagine, I can imagine her like ringing the florist and I can imagine, oh God, say the thing you want to say about the florist. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks. The florist. So I noticed on this watch around that the flowers are from Ashling Flowers. And Ashling Flowers, obviously Ashling is an Irish name and it's spelled you know, the most traditional Irish way. Uh, and I Googled it and it's a cork-born florist working in New York. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> that's all Caroline has to say about that. That's, that's it, really. I also love as well with you and I when we get into these moments of like screenshottiness of when we become obsessed with the details, like fucking that poor Irish actor who played the Tommy the Doorman, and we go on these little adventures. I, th I, I, I think we made life hell for him. I know. I think we made life bad for him. Carl Geary. Ca poor Carl Geary. I haven't heard from him, but I think we made life bad for him. <laughs> I had so many people attacking him on all sides. I know. Like, my American agent knew him and wanted him to said, do you want to come on? Because you're a hunk of the week or whatever. And he was like, no. <laughs> yeah, he's quite serious. He's really now. serious, yeah. But I just love these moments where we're like, oh, and then we found out it's this cork-born woman in New York. Like, okay. Like, what, <laughs> like, <laughs> we, we think we've, like, cracked this, like... It's just nice. It's, <laughs> but I love it. It still gives me immense satisfaction. I just love alienating people. Because I know <laughs> that the people who will be left listening after By the, the cork-born florist chat will be the real stars. Yeah, for everyone who's dropped off after the cork-born florist, <laughs> bye. And for everyone who stayed, we love you. <laughs> uh, and let's remember, they asked for this. <laughs> they asked for it. Um... The what else about the funeral? Susan Sharon's reappearance. Love that. Perfect in every single way. And uh, 
you know, again, once them realizing who their most powerful cameo characters are. And I also thought the entire time I was watching it when she was just ranting at Carrie about how it's all water under the bridge and their feud is long forgotten. And obviously, like, Carrie has no idea what the feud is. I was like, this is something that would happen to Dali. <laughs> when you said that to me, it made me feel so seen. Like, Caroline understands me better than anyone because that sort of shit does happen to me now. It does. Just people acting weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so, yeah. It's... It's, it's so it's, strange. I'll never get my head around it. It's a weird side effect of fame that is very rarely spoken about. Because I think people know about like, oh, when you get some kind of notoriety, um, people will want to be close to you and want to get to you. And, and people are used to that sort of idea. Mm. But what people are less familiar with is that people from your past will be desperate to form a narrative about you mm. um, in order to have some kind of thread. And mm. whether it's positive or negative mm. is absolutely up to the ether. <laughs> like it has nothing to do with your... What do you think in Susan's head? Oh, what a great question. Here's what I think. Okay, go on. Okay. Oh my God, I haven't even thought about this, but the answer instantly came to me. Here's what happened in Susan's head. The last time we saw Susan Sharon was when she ran into her, when she was engaged to Aiden. And they had an exchange about her wearing the uh, ring around her neck. Yeah. I think Susan Sharon sent her a very expensive engagement present (laughs) that... Because Carrie quite quickly uh, broke up with Aiden, went unacknowledged. And then the, the next time they ran into each other, Carrie didn't remember it at all. Because she's still so traumatised by the breakup. Yeah. yeah. And Susan Sharon was waiting to hear something about this sort of $800 yeah. sandwich maker she sent over. Yeah. And uh, then, she, she, took, then she, she took something else that Carrie said out of context in order to support her theory yeah. that Carrie is an ungrateful brat. Yeah. And it's been going for 10 years. Yeah. And then you can hear Susan say to their like vaguely mutual acquaintances like, I'm so sorry that I'm not some famous journalist. I'm sorry that your friends are just lowly PRs you now just don't even care about. Yes. Yes. Like she, in her head, she'll be like, well, I bet if Samantha sent that to you, you would have given a big thanks. But because I'm not some hot shot. That's what it is. Totally. And then, and then her story is like, Carrie hates all her friends who aren't a bit like, yes. yeah, glam and famous. Completely. Obsessed with that subplot. Obsessed. I remember I had this um, uh, a couple of years ago where somebody who I lived with for six months when I was 24, and as far as I'm aware, we had no fights. Or <laughs> uh, I mean, like, I, I don't think we had like a very close relationship, but I think we were basically grand with one another. He ran into someone that I knew and was talking about, oh, yeah, you know Caroline as well, or whatever. Like, you know, they figured out they both knew me. And, like, her and I had a bit of a, a rough, <laughs> bit of a rough time living together. And it drove me crazy for about nine months. Did you find out why? No, I think I, I, I kind of, I kept sort of confronting one of my best mates about it, who was also in that house share at the time. And he was just like, you have to let it go. He just wants to have a little story. Okay, but, you know, this is why, like, you know, can you imagine what I would have been like if that had happened? I would have like yeah, you would have gone mental. I would have launched and had to like, bring you to a clinic to lobotomize. I, so I we stop talking about it. I would have launched a serial <laughs> style um, <laughs> This American Life podcast where I get to the bottom of why a man I barely know once was dismissive about me to someone. <laughs> also, just you saying that about Susan Sharon, yeah, it makes me think like you know the like the B story example that we're like oh they got it wrong of like 
this new character and her husband that yeah. we barely know with these two characters we don't know having dinner to talk about fertility issues. Yeah. Like, here's what I would love that space to have been filled with. If we're looking for random storylines with people that we don't know other than one character, like Susan Sharon <laughs> having a drink with someone talking about... <laughs> she's gonna bury the hatchet with Carrie at the funeral or like you know later when Stanford says to I think it's the next episode he says to Charlotte like I've been talking to my therapist about you like I would stand talking to the therapist (laughs) that would have actually been like such a great way to buttress in those side characters like LTW and Naya and stuff having them having them like pinned to a wall having to talk to Susan Sharon Susan Sharon explaining the beef (laughs) Would have been a great way to interpret them more. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Gloria really captured your imagination and heart in a way that it didn't quite for me. I'm amazed that there weren't like 3,000 word long reads on, on the existence of Gloria within this show. I don't... Because here's the thing. She gets introduced as big secretary. It feels like a very thought out character. Mm. Which is always like, a, like I think that's what those writers do best is having char- like one-off characters, as we said, who just leave a big impression. Who are fleshed out. Because you also can so imagine a world where Big adores that woman. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that line that she says, oh, you know, he he was one of the last guys to get to keep their old girls kind of thing. Yeah. There was something really, like, cause like, obviously, like, it's not like a humanitarian act to keep your secretary on. <laughs> But it clearly is to that woman. Like yeah. Thing of, like, and she's clearly quite proud of being like, I'm kind of the last of the old gals. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I found it very sweet and very tender. And and Carrie being very sweet with her and making sure that she like gets in the cab okay. And, and her crying so much as well. That's like quite a point is made of how much she's yeah. crying. Yeah. And then this sort of repeated thing of like, you know, she knows more about him than, than even he does. Yes, that felt very set up-y for me. In an exciting right. way. In an exciting like, way. She's the keeper of information. Yes. And so what I was imagining and what I um, was quite excited about was the idea of uh, there's some hole in his financial plan. And Carrie thought she was very well provided for. And it turns out he's kind of been covering for financial discrepancies and there's actually very little left. And even though she won't be left destitute, she'll have to go back to the old apartment. She'll have to mm. sell up that thing. Yeah. And has to really think about what she has to live off for the rest of her life. And yeah. that adding a sort of a hungriness back to that character. Because yeah. even though she was always full of luxury, we always knew that she only had seven hundred dollars in her checking account and she mm. was li- like we what was going to happen to mm. her. And I would have loved to see that hungriness come back. And when I saw Gloria, I was like that's how we're going to get the hungry this back. Yeah. That was a lost opportunity, actually, I think. Yeah. As you say that, that could have been a real quest. Yeah. And then her selling that book would have been like... Yeah. And you've sold it for like a, a seven-figure deal or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to say it again, but like I think we could have written that quite well. I know, we really could have. <laughs> because I just... The th- like, the, the sort of the scrappiness <clears throat> of, of Sex and the City, Carrie Bradshaw was a huge reason why we loved her. Mm. And there's something just not as compelling. as like She's just a, a very rich widow who probably makes some money off of her books. Yeah. But let's face it, most of it is coming from her financier husband. Can I say my theory on that? Mm. Lack of VO. Okay. Because I think you really feel it in the episode, this funeral episode, where no voiceover, and I have to say, I'm very sceptical about voiceover. Mm. I try and avoid it often it is really useful I think you have to use it very carefully and thoughtfully 
and I realized how much the voiceover was the glue that hold that yeah. held that show together because in episode two when Carrie's grieving, particularly at the funeral, you know, there's that moment when they play the song and they're showing that slideshow of his life and she looks really haunted and then she sort of dances to herself and looks like she's going to cry, but looks kind of manic. Yeah. Carrie in this series, from that moment of grief, really becomes quite impenetrable to me Mm. as an audience member. She's kind of a, like, cold, slightly glacial, slightly... um, withdrawn yeah it's a person in shock grieving shocked person and it makes her there's a strangeness and a dislocation to her that's truthful for someone grieving but all I wanted was to be in her head and her heart all I wanted was her to invite us in and be like this is where I am right now this is how I'm feeling this is where the stage I am in my grief this is what it feels like when I see the rest of the world continuing and I think it really I think it made her unrelatable in this series yeah, that we weren't that we weren't in her thoughts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I think her acting and her performance was wonderful. Stunning. I, I love that they made that choice of her having been quite awkward and cold. And there's like lots of little moments where she almost looks like a little bird. Where yeah, she's sort of like twitching yeah, and looking around. Totally. Yeah, it's very believable. Very believable. But you're right. Like so much of the DNA of that show was being in her heart and head. Yeah. Um, we have the kind of the uh, Miranda and Che's meet cute. Do you have much to say about that? What's what's our? We haven't talked about Che really at all, and which is interesting because Che soaked up so much of the dialogue. Yeah, and I really loved the Che Diaz memes. It was yeah, a real same. golden age. Same. I felt I really know, bad for people it, who didn't watch it, who were I left know. out of that. The thing is with the Che Diaz memes, it wasn't a clean high for me. Really? No, I felt it was mean, and I felt. I don't know. I I I love. There's something I do love, like piss takiness, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there is something about that. It did feel mean to me. It made me feel a bit uncomfortable. That was the thing with the, the relentlessness of it. The water cooler and just like that moments um, were always on day one and when the episode came out, always really fun. Mm. And then it would always this strange thing where a bitterness would form over the week. Mm. I think I think fans have become quite embittered. Yeah. In general, and particularly of this show, where it didn't feel fun anymore, and it did feel sort of strange yeah. and mean. I yeah, just I kept mean. thinking about that actor. I just yeah. kept thinking about that actor, and look, <laughs> I also really <laughs> threw myself into it with alacrity. I enjoyed it, but I did feel okay. So here's my hot take on the Che thing. Mm-hmm. I think in a more traditional Sex in the City world, Che wouldn't have been a non-binary person. They would have been a man. Mm-hmm. And I think that they would have been a three-episode character mm-hmm. and Miranda would have had an affair with them. Mm-hmm. And if Che were old Sex in the City it would be like the jazz ADHD guy. Yes, somebody's so charming from the offset and then yeah. you realise they're quite selfish. Yeah. yeah. And then what would have happened is Miranda would have either told Steve, mm. I've met this guy and left him or would have had this torrid affair and uh, it would have cracked open her life and then she, the reality of that lover would have been exposed of like, oh, they're narcissistic and mm-hmm. they're not right for me and they're not, it was just like a circuit breaker to take me out of the routines of my old life. And then what would have been really empowering is for Miranda to go, do you know who I really need is me and I need to connect with myself. Yeah. Goodbye, 
whoever the old Che would have been, mm-hmm. goodbye, Steve, I'm on my own. Yeah. But because I think they were using that character to be slightly messagey as yeah. well, yeah. that they couldn't serve them in that way. First of all, very clever. Thank you. Very good. <laughs> 100%, 100%. And I think that is the same problem it came to with a lot of the characters. Like, I feel like a central part of Sex and City was its irreverence, right? And yeah. that nobody, like, got away without a raised eyebrow. And, like, look how kind yeah. of, like, you know, everyone in that world was faintly ridiculous. Like, like Margaret Cho, for example, being the producer of that yes. runway in The yeah. Real Me. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was everything that's great about Margaret Cho, the actress, but it was like this heightened ridiculousness. And like, you know, it was just wonderful. Yeah. And I feel like it's reticence to be able to laugh at its new, very lovingly crafted characters like LTW mm. or like Che mm. made them quite flat. Mm. And it's also patronising, you know, like... Yes, very patronising. Like, just because a character is non-binary doesn't mean that they can't be yeah. a twat at times like every other human. And I think that the, the reverence that that non-binary character was shrouded in was was quite yeah. patronising and not helpful sometimes, actually. Like, the fact that Che, che would stand up and say these platitudes about queer identity that was so yeah. nothingy and that's meant to inspire this like revolution amongst the people watching them. And Miranda in particular, who yeah. is so cynical. Like, it doesn't make any sense. No. That Miranda would be so stirred by this. No. I just think that... But you know what? All that being said, I'm not saying that this should be applauded because, like, we all should be, you know, making our fictional worlds more reflective of the real world. But I do think they made the right choice. Like, I would prefer to have them to have included a non-binary character mm. and, and find their footing in it and still, you know, yeah. than just for, for Miranda to have fallen in love with some like yeah. we've seen a million times yeah you know like I, I do still think it's a better place to be yeah do you think yes no I agree and, and like once again living in the world where this is a is a, is a first a flawed first seasons of many seasons yeah. of comedy drama like maybe once they've established their credibility in representing more kinds of people mm. that let themselves have a bit more fucking fun with it. Yeah, you know because I mean? they kind of let themselves... The moment where I was like, oh, we're getting there is when when Che doesn't tell Miranda that they're moving to LA mm-hmm. and then... Do California Girls. Does this huge yeah. performance and makes it all about them. And that felt like they were edging towards this idea and Miranda, of... And Miranda's like, you couldn't tell me, but you could rehearse musical numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, I'm a narcissist. And it felt like they were edging more t- towards like a fully rounded, truthful character who happens to be non-binary. Yeah. Yeah. So they, it's like they were nearly there. And and, and might get there still. Yeah. Y- yeah. You never know. Exactly. Um, but yeah, the meet you. I think it's kind of hot, actually. I do... Un- I remember when I watched it the first time around, I really didn't like it because I felt like, oh God, is is Miranda's whole thing that she's just sort of like racially insensitive? Like, mm. because the first thing, the kind of the the several awkward moments with Naya and then sort of treating Che like they're a thug. Yeah. Thing, which yeah, is obviously yeah. another racially motivated yeah. moment. And I was like, oh, is is this fucking... Miranda just a fucking racist? Yeah. Is that what yeah. it is now? Yeah. But then it's sort of like watching it again and realizing this is the basis for a, a sparky chemistry 
made more sense to me. Yeah. yeah I think it's one of the easiest you, yeah. scenes between them. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. When, when it's sort of like... Because when Che just goes off on them for getting Brady high and then they have the recovery conversation inside the funeral, it feels like very sparky and you can see Che responding to Miranda in the way that anybody would and be like, well, who's this fucking like lady who looks like a Karen but actually there's like you mm. know, more going mm. on and she's edgy and strange and fierce. Yeah. And you get why you would want to fuck Miranda in that moment. Yeah, totally. But totally. every subsequent conversation you see between them just feels really weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. Another thread of this episode that I think is worth chewing over, mm. unsurprisingly, um, <laughs> is how Charlotte recenters the tragedy of Big's loss and the grief of Big around yeah. herself. I think it was really, really well really handled yeah yeah because it's what happens it's real it's what happens in every group yeah of friends and in that group of friends it fucking sure, certainly would have been charlotte and it it's not a reflection on that person being an inherently narcissistic or selfish person no not at all it's um that thing of like the charlotte holding herself responsible for it because she made carrie go to lily's recital when she wanted to go to the Hamptons. That's mm. a great moment from Sarah Jessica Parker. Like I wanted to! I just love her losing it. She does oh, it so well. It's so good. She's you, such a good actor, isn't she? She And she's only gotten better as yeah. well. She's only got better. That moment where she breaks and she screams at the ceiling. And she says, I'm angry. I'm not angry with you. I'm angry with myself. Yeah. Yeah. And... But it's so realistic that Charlotte would be like, the reason Carrie is um, excluding me from her grieving process is because I am responsible for the death of her husband. Mm. And the real reason is that Carrie is excluding her because she is sort of soaking up all the grief in the room. Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so one of those things where like the human society and how we socialize is so complicated of like, there is a pecking order when it comes to public displays of grief, right? Totally. And it's weird because in the Victorian era, we would formalize that by having people wear certain colors or wearing bands and everyone would know where everyone was at. And now we don't have that anymore. And maybe we need it, you know? Yeah, and also something that you learn as you get older that Charlotte obviously hasn't learned yet is that in that top tier of grievers the partner of someone, the sibling of someone, the child of someone, the parent of someone, they have their, the second tier grievers, which are the people who support them. Mm. And that's a really tough job. Yeah. So those second tier people need their own private support system Mm. that they don't bring to the top tier grievers. Yes. They need a village looking after them and checking in with them after they've spent a night at Carrie's house. Mm. It's traumatizing to be in the proximity to that sort of grief it's really 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 upsetting and it stays with you forever and like you need to fucking offload that to someone yeah there's a theory it's called dumping out have you ever heard of this one no when my friend john was dying we sort of developed this among our our system of friends where um if you imagine the person who's grieving the most and in this case it was our good friend ella Risbridger. Um, because she was the partner of him 
she's grieving the most. She dumps out her emotions on me. Yeah. I dump out my emotions on Gavin. Yeah. Gavin dumps out his emotions on Ash. And so his brother. Yeah. And so um, you're always dumping outwards and totally. never inwards. Never in. So while instinctively it might feel like I'm, me and my friend have both lost someone and we're going to cry together. That might instinctively feel like the best thing, but actually their loss has multitudes that yours doesn't have. Yeah. And you kind of, well, it's appropriate to a point. Yeah. If suddenly you bring your feelings and make them the dominant set of feelings you can really hamstring them in a very complicated way. Yeah, and it just fucks the whole system. Yeah. It's just like, it's such a delicate balancing act to keep everyone sane and safe. Yeah, yeah. It's a very complicated thing. Yeah. I'm really glad it was in there. I yeah. could have even had more of it. I honest. could have had more. Yeah. My favourite thing is when Carrie, when Charlotte comes over and like Miranda and Stanford are there having margaritas <laughs> and Stanford has to hide. It's really funny. <laughs> And Sanford says, he stands up and goes, okay, I don't think I'm good at hiding. <laughs> I don't think I'm good at hiding. It's just sweet dialogue. And then when the old coot neighbour comes and checks. It's so, fu- it's so funny, that moment. And again, it's that amazing sex in the city thing of the bittersweetness that you have this moment of pure emotion of her screaming. Yeah. And then you have this like nosy neighbour poking out that they all take the piss out of. But yeah, it's really good. And also you feel the like frustration with Charlotte when that moment, like the day after her husband has died and she's like putting Charlotte in a cab home. Yeah. And Charlotte's crying being like, I hope you're okay. And then uh, the mortician Jane mistakes Charlotte for the widow and then it's a big to-do or whatever. And Jane says to Carrie, please don't leave over a thoughtless mistake that I made. <laughs> and then Carrie just puts her hand up. It's not you, Jane. <laughs> just yeah. the way she says it. It's great. And do you know what else is, is good as well about that, um, the whole like funeral plan thing mm. the next day? It's, they really capture what the strange new dimension that you enter that feels like a completely different solar system yeah. in the days after someone dies. Of like this just new world that's, dark and fucking weird but also trippy and kind of funny yeah like all of that yes, is captured that's such a good way of putting it yeah. yes like how like that the kind of like slightly thing of like how am i being asked to do this yeah kind of thing yeah i tell you as well the thing that i love about this episode and it's the last moment of the episode is i think it's a real <clears throat> i think it's a real effortless depiction and celebration of what a lifelong female friendship is, that you have this like girlhood that exists forever. The yeah. fact that it's not even questioned that they're gonna have sleepovers on yeah. a rotor at Carrie's flat. Like that's, you don't even see them planning it. It's just like, well, that's what we do. Yeah, it's very like, oh, it's, Mar- it's Miranda's night. Yeah, it's Miranda's night, it's her night. Yeah. You know, the fact that Charlotte brings around British folks, she goes to the special magazine shop and brings I all know. the magazines. And that moment at the end where you see these women in their mid fifties, like sharing a bed with each other. And like having a sleepover to look after each other. And you know that they're going to be doing that in their 80s. And I find it like really moving. And as I've said, like a lot, it's like one of the things I blabber on about too much, but like there is a lot to envy of men. But in those moments, I do think they don't get this thing. They don't get this thing. Like Big would not have had Steve coming around and bringing him like what car? And staying over in his bed oh, and God. massaging his back. Yeah. If Carrie suddenly dropped dead. Well, I would like to have seen that scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Um, let's round off our chat with episode three, When in Rome, which is where Natasha re-enters the picture. It's exciting, this episode, isn't it? It's, I think it's really clever. Yes, yeah, they did this. Because, like, as much as we respect as a viewer Carrie's grieving process, you can't watch too much of it. No. And so to have sort of like a, a mystery and a quest. Yeah, and dramatise it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it kind of gets the ball rolling again. Yeah, yeah. I kind of would have liked a bit more of that, actually. Because mm, I just, I really, it plunges you. That line that she says where she's like, this has reminded me of how I felt all those years ago. Of like, <gasps> yes. unsure of how he felt about me and insecure and second guessing him. And like that moment when Natasha says like, oh, well, he's always a puzzle. This is exactly who he was. Yeah, There was something to me that felt like really like reminiscent and exciting. And I don't know, it felt like Big was there again. And it felt like you were kind of in series two again of like yes. Carrie trying to work him out. And, who is this man? Yeah. Who are we? Who are we? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I really wish the Natasha thing was like spread out over two or maybe three episodes. Yeah. And so when we have that moment of her with the ice pack in the cafe, yeah. it feels really earned and like we really waited for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the kind of puncture of like, oh, something that we always suspected when we were doing the podcast, which was that uh, Natasha's always been more afraid of Carrie than Carrie's been of Natasha. Yeah. Yeah. A good lesson to us all. And when I say all, me. <laughs> I love it all. I love the fact that she, like, she can't sleep. And so she's kind of gone mental. And she's, like, uh, f- emails Natasha. And then doesn't get a response. So she DMs her. And then she gets, and then blocked. gets blocked. I love that moment. She's a fucking bitch. <laughs> I love that. I can so see, like, my friends. I Like, I could so see a world of... Yeah. Uh, it's just so familiar, isn't it? Of yes. all that, like plotting and conspiring and like trying to find out information it's so inherently like it's very you yeah it's very me it's very me but it's like so collectively female I think that yes like, and that that very specific thing as well of like you're talking your friend through her like reasonable but you know quite mad emotions and you're like okay okay and then your friend so I already emailed her and you're like oh yeah. god <laughs> oh god I hadn't realised when I picked up the phone the horse has already bolted and I Out can't the, save her yeah, yeah, and all yeah. I can do is control this damage yeah and that thing of them all getting in the car and all waiting oh for her god. it's just it feels like yeah I loved all that I think it's and great. Charlotte's whole thing of like it's really not that much money after tax <laughs> Yeah. Why do you think he gives her that million dollars? Oh, what a great question. It's never quite resolved, is it? I do think her her explanation, which which it's so great. It's like a very Wizard of Oz moment of like, she knew the answer the whole time, which is that Big is a finance guy. Yeah, yeah. And he sees money as a way of fixing things. Yeah, I love that line. He's not yeah. good with words. He can do it with money. Yeah. And so yeah. I just think it is a, yeah. a lasting thing of like, he still feels as though he wronged her. Mm. And he probably made that will 10 years ago. Yes, exactly. Like, exactly. And I had a moment of like, you know, oh, would you know, whatever settlement he had of being like, his 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 lawyer being like, and would you like to keep, blah blah blah, with yeah. with your former wife and him going yes, yeah. What I'm more interested in, what did the first wife get? Oh, nothing, I guess. <laughs> nothing, I guess. I'm sorry. I thought what you were gonna say is the thing that really like for some reason pissed me off and angered me that he gives a charitable donation to the theatre. I know. <laughs> He doesn't go to plays. He hates plays. There's another one where it's like he gave We a... all hate plays. <laughs> we all hate plays. <laughs> um, when he gives a charitable donation to like some New Orleans jazz bar. Yeah, and that then, I, yeah. I got. And Gloria's like, he always loved jazz. <laughs> wasted Gloria. She is wasted there. 
She sits there mute, Gloria. Carrie gets a bit snappy with Gloria in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you remember? But that upset you. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, What else happens that's not the Natasha stuff? I want to talk about Miranda's drinking. Oh, yeah. Because that sort of emerges in this episode. That really became a dominant part of the discourse, I think. Yeah. What do you think of it? Okay, so I originally had a very strong thought about it, which is I felt like this is anti-Miranda. This is not characteristic. This is Mm. a woman who runs marathons, who is incredibly self-aware and incredibly in control. She's a control freak. I don't think that she would resort to booze. I also felt like, this is unhelpful in depictions of middle-aged women. Do we really, are we really doing a like laughing at a middle-aged woman not being able to cope with life and her domestic life and like... hiding booze in the fucking laundry cupboard. Like, yeah. I just felt like it's not helpful. It's so stereotypical. But then my friend Olivia said to me, and I th- I offered that to her, and she said, no, I think it's great because Sex in the City was one of the first shows that basically offered up alcohol as a way of life. Yeah. And when Olivia said that, I was like, oh, my God. It kind of was this moment where I realised, like, Maybe this is one of the reasons why I think alcohol is so fucking glamorous and the glue of all social situations. Because yeah. from a very young age, all I would do is like tune into this <laughs> depiction of womanhood that I thought was like so glamorous and so exciting. And every week, like the thing that punctured their socializing and their dating and their sex lives were drinking cocktails. Yeah. So Olivia was like, I think it's really interesting to see like yes a resolution to that or i don't i'm, I'm loath to say no. repercussion because i don't want to feel like we, those women should be punished for like drinking every day but but there are, is there's connective tissue between those those two things no you're dead right they're commenting on the culture that they help make yeah exactly because for i think we forget because we're just not the generation that for years until really quite recently like pubs and bars were male only spaces yeah and it was very weird and quite scandalous to be a woman drinking in a pub yeah and, and drinking really like changed. hard booze like drinking like yeah you know not having like a naughty glass of white wine like drinking cocktail after cocktail after yeah. cocktail like what's in a cosmopolitan vodka um, vodka cointreau and cranberry i know that from making fucking way too many of them when i was recording this with you remotely yeah. <laughs> you know what we haven't talked about yet what that we're in the same room i know <laughs> i know it's nice it's isn't nice. it nice yeah yeah I'm going to make Cosmos next time. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. What did you think? Did you have any immediate initial thoughts to the drinking storyline? I think in general, it, it kind of ties into my overall thoughts of Miranda's character. Because I think people... It's interesting because over the last decade, the sort of the we should all be Miranda's thing. I think mm. Miranda, who was sort of like initially in the run of the show, very much the Ringo. She was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Have you watched the documentary called <laughs> Get Back? Oh my God. The biggest fight in our friendship is about Get Back. <laughs> and I won't explain it to the listeners because it's not interesting. Um, <laughs> but um, but this thing of like, she you know, she was the least glamorous. She yeah. had the most sort of ordinary workaday life. Yeah. And therefore, she, you know, no one back then wanted to be called Miranda. But then there was a kind of Miranda renaissance. Yes, totally. And everyone sort of fell in love with her all over again. And now, fresh from that renaissance, we have this character who is the most sort of brittle and weak yeah. of all of the characters, right? Yeah. She um, is... and it, But here's the thing, it all makes sense to me. It makes sense that 
she would because she's a news hound and because mm. the news over the last uh, decade has become increasingly more of a identity politics yeah that she would feel confused and adrift that she would look around and be like oh i have very few people of color in my life that she would then try and study up on something for sure because it, there's a whole i mean our friend otago Ogba wrote about it in her book whites of like there is a whole sort of self-help sort of sub-publishing genre of just how to make white people feel better about talking to black people. Exactly. And Miranda is the core consumer for that. She is the person that they are marketing towards. In fact, there's that awful moment where she, like, tries to... Yes. Like, save the day with Naya, whose security pass is being checked. Yeah. And she quotes a book. She says, I learned in how to be... I can't remember the name, but it's like, how to be a good ally. Yeah. That, like, you should always... Like, yeah, you definitely see... I think that is characteristic. I agree. It is characteristic. And I think it is that I've noticed this so much with, with people of like people who I got to know when I was in my teens and they were in their twenties or when I was in the twenties and they were in their thirties, um, who I thought of being as very radical and very left and showed me what feminism was and gave me the important books that they went on to inform my politics often get quite conservative and brittle and strange mm. Mm. because they sort of fall behind a little bit. They feel disempowered. Yeah. yeah. And that's what's happening to Miranda. And I think if you think about like the Miranda that was obsessively into trash TV, mm-hmm. obsessively into eating chocolate. Yeah, she's that's quite obsessive. That is true, yeah. So for that, plus the pandemic, you know, pandemic drinking or whatever, mm. standing two cheese in the groaning, et cetera. Yeah. To then result in her being a quiet alcoholic makes sense to me on a character level but I think it's very painful for people to watch and also the thing like as you were talking the thing that I was thinking is like people change like that that is a fact of life that people change they change wildly and particularly famously they change in middle age yeah they change at this moment where they are no longer defined by youth but they are not elderly and they reassess their children are growing up and leaving home yeah. and they they've gone through this huge hormonal change and they like suddenly have a breakdown or not even a breakdown like they suddenly change everything about their life so like actually to find Miranda in a moment where we don't recognize her and she doesn't recognize herself is very believable yes. and that's why <laughs> she is so moved when Jay Diaz <laughs> says you don't like who you are step out of that box and change <laughs> And they all take to their feet. The great orator of our time, Che Diaz, saying, get out, step out of that box and change. Oh God, did you see, I know, I know it's this time around that the comedy show, the comedy concert yeah. was called Check the Box. Yeah, I noticed that. Oh I noticed that. So I have a theory about the like, these more like, off-cut bits of speech. So one of them is the funeral, the eulogy at the funeral. Yeah. And and oh, we haven't talked about I that. Know. How strange. <laughs> How very strange. How lucky. And also the for me it's like as slapdash, something about tonally Che Diaz's speech about stepping out of your box and change and the slapdashiness of the eulogy makes me think that like the script assistant wrote them. <laughs> Yes. They gave a little job to the script assistant. Yeah. It's very like, Carla's young. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Carla's 22. She can do this bit. And it's the best day of Carla's life. <laughs> she sits there for a week agonising over this like piece of comedy that she has to write. God. 
So in that Miranda drinking storyline, which I think it's a, like it's when her and Charlotte go to a cafe because they're waiting on uh, Carrie's intervention with Natasha, which I kind of love. I love the sort of naturalism of that, of like, oh, well, I guess this is going to take a while. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just go get a coffee, I suppose. Yeah. While our friend confronts the ex-husband of her dead, the ex-wife of her dead husband. Um, and Miranda says, I don't even feel like me and Steve are a couple anymore. Mm. I think that the Miranda Steve thing is really painful for a lot of people. We're so cross about it, aren't we? Really cross. And I guess we'll talk about it more when we get to those episodes. But I find it so, like, they were always a mismatched couple. And the fact yes. that they found, um, thing, the fact that they were very horny for each other, something that, like, famously fades. Like, yeah. if there's yeah. one thing we know about horniness is that we know it fades. Yeah. Um, like, and they kind of like hanging out together. That was their kind of big dynamic. They, they love sort of sitting in the pub and watching sports and, and kind of doing that. They're a very low-key couple. That's why yeah. people loved them so yeah. much because they were such a great antithesis to um, Carrie and Big. Um, but if the horniness fades and if one of you works a demanding corporate job and the other person runs a bar and all that remains is that you watch TV together, it can totally understand why after a while you'd be like, are we just housemates? You know? Yeah, it's totally believable. If it's so believable, then why do people hate it so much? Because I think that there are these very rare portals into Sex and the City that, that every person can enter. And one of them is Miranda, Miranda and Steve's relationship. so right, yeah. So we feel like another sort of door's been closed to us. That if that's under attack, then the show is kind of attacking us in a way. Yeah. And yeah. what other doors do we have in? What, like, yeah. big leaving a million dollars to his... Like, yeah. Or, you know. like, and that are Charlotte and Harry still horny for each other because they have no problems? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think most good faith Sex in the City fans love that it feels like it's in this echelon that's aspirational or not even aspirational just like unattainable and fairy tale like and you know incredibly wealthy and incredibly urban and incredibly new york and glamorous it's a really fun part of the show but i think the thing that underpins that is there are these like huge emotional storylines and relationships that we recognize yeah and that's the thing that keeps us watching yeah so that's why i think it upset people and it's this thing of like the 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 wealth stakes have now become so huge that the real life stakes for them to be so miserable made yeah. everyone feel quite cold and under attack, I think. Totally agree. Yeah. 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 Should we talk about our favourite clothes? Yes! Yay! I loved Carrie walking in her Terry de Havilland's. Oh my God. Our favourite? Our favourite shoe brand. <laughs> They're like glittery disco shoes. And I, I can so when she's like, these are my sneakers... I can say they're so comfortable. They're very comfortable. And we thank them for sponsoring this week's episode of Sentimental in the City. Please send us Terry's. (laughs) They're the best shoes in the world. I love them. Can I tell something really embarrassing that I probably can't? Go on. I was at dinner with Gavin Friday night and I was wearing a dress from Reformation. And and he sort of he was like, Oh, you look nice. And I was like, Yeah, it's from Reformation. And (laughs) and he said You've really upped your clothes game since becoming friends with Dolly. Oh, for fuck's sake. And I realised, and he wasn't saying it just mentally, I was like, oh my God, he's right. He's <laughs> no, right. No, that's not true. No, it's true. How would you know? You didn't know me before you didn't know me. <laughs> you were just a schlubby, 
tracksuit wearing. I think it's because like I don't for whatever reason I don't really have that many friends who are like like really love clothes and fashion mm. the way you do. And yeah. you sort of introduced me to things and like kind of made me realise that like oh, it's okay to spend money on something that you really love. Yeah. And it's not like a weakness. It's like something kind of lovely if you can afford oh, to do it. Oh, that's so nice. And do you know what? I was talking to a woman on Friday who said that something she struggles with with her friend is that she has this belief that like to acquiesce to like thinking about clothes and aesthetics yes. is to admit defeat. <laughs> yes. And I do understand. That was definitely my mind for a long time. Yeah. For a really long time. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed falling in love with clothes because I've fallen oh, in love with you. I love you. Oh. And I love that like long dress she wears as she's stumping yes, around. Yes, the sort of shirt and the peasant dress. Yeah. I love when she's wearing the sort of wafty pantsuit, no, jumpsuit with a kind of a, there's a kind of a chiffon layer oh, over it. it's my it. fave. It's the first outfit on the show. That whole outfit is oh. fabulous. She's wearing that beautiful hat. Yeah, yeah, the fascination with the feather. And then she wears this like, yeah, it's like kind of, how would you describe those trousers? It's like a linen sort of oatmeal yeah. jumpsuit that has these like panels that... Yes, yeah, so floating panels, oh, yeah. Beautiful. Oh, adore. And when she's like wafting around the kitchen, it's yes. stunning. Gorgeous. I have to say, I think that she is at her most beautiful in this I agree. show. Yeah. I think she has aged beautifully. And I think she looks soft and, you know pretty and I think she looks her age in a wonderful way yeah. I think she looks natural and beautiful I think they all look great I think and this thing as well her, I, I like some of her fashion is just as mad as it ever was which yeah. is wonderful yeah and this thing of like it's I, we don't really have that many 50 year old women on tv who love fashion do you know yeah what I mean? totally like it's quite rare to see somebody who's so clearly into fashion and she so clearly has the wardrobe of a rich woman with no kids. That's know? it. That's it. I was, as you were saying, I was just thinking, I think often what happens to women is when they have children, they're just all their resources and all their time is like yeah. spent on dressing their kids and then they kind of don't pick it up again. Obviously not all women, but I think for some women that's seen as like the rite of passage. Yeah. So it's nice seeing, like I love Miranda at the funeral. She wears this gorgeous uh, tailoring, like this black... Uh, jacket, this back mm. blazer that has like a side fastener. She yeah. looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Don't love Charlotte's clothes. No. But I never really loved Charlotte's yeah. clothes. Here's something weird. Go on. They don't really fit. No. I feel like it, like, the, it was fit badly or something. I think her she, boobs are kind of bursting out yeah. of her outfits in a very strange way. Yeah. I, I'd noticed that with one of her outfits. I think that Charlotte's clothing is probably the most character-driven aesthetic choices. Yeah. Because I do think she's someone who probably would be quite fixated in staying in the same size. Yes. And I think oh, she wow. would be someone who is quite fixated on having the like these like blue chip brands of middle age, like mm. J. Crew or yeah. you know, I think Ralph Lauren or so she's quite traditional in the way that she dresses and even though it probably doesn't make aesthetically the most exciting choices it is authentic it is to her character oh I love that though, yeah. the idea of her being yeah not not going up a size yeah it's very Charlotte yeah I wonder if we've just invented that or if that's an intentional choice who knows uh, I love Lily's Oscar de la Renta dress that she plays oh yeah beautiful oh, stunning yeah uh, LTW is the best clothes I think 
LTW. I love LTW's clothes. Sort of like Bardot pirate blouse. Mm, that's, yeah, episode yeah. two when they, no, episode one when they go to the concert. Yeah. It's amazing. And she wears that really heavy sort of Flintstones necklace. Yes. Yeah. Like big glass beads, like yeah. pebbles Flintstone. Yes. I see that for myself in middle age. Yeah. Like statement jewellery and like good blouses. <laughs> I really see that in my future. Yeah. A blouse with one weird thing happening in it. Yes, yeah. exactly. Love that for you. Um, are we going to do our clangers and men and all that kind of stuff? Or have we grown out of that? <laughs> have we matured beyond that? I think maybe we have. You can really tell that we haven't planned this very no, much. No, but it's also, we are talking, it's such a different metric that we're, that very correct, that we're measuring this show by, I think. I think this season, I'm the one going to be calling you a genius. <laughs> And I'm very happy <laughs> with that. <laughs> the dynamic has shifted. <laughs> the pandemic has changed all of us. <laughs> um, all right. Any 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 stray observations then? No, I think I've observed fully. And also, I want to go eat some ramen. So fucking hungry. I need to get out of here. Uh, all right. This has been whatever this has been. <laughs> um, tune in next week, maybe. Please do. Please do. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com